Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay with a brand new microphone. I'm hoping it sounds a little richer and will not have quite so many spikes in in uh, noise. And this is Shanna with the same old microphone and a message for everyone out there just to say, I hate carnations. I hate them. They're the worst flower. I have a irrational loathing of them so much that like I will call off a date and not have sex with my partner if a carnation enters my view. See, I wonder what that lady's problem was because we really don't get a sense of what her deal was. She was just in a bad mood when he showed up. Oh, uh, yeah. she. I mean, <laughs> Something was just going of, wrong with that date. Well, the date kind of looked like old man Charles Manson. Uh, so you it's, can kind of guess. Yeah, it's weird because we see the two of them before the killing like we, we see uh him identify the body before we see the killing which is really weird but uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves this first film we're talking about this week our second uh serbian slash yugoslavian film that we've covered uh, after leptarica oh yeah right i think maybe from the same year they're they're certainly close together and they have a similar it's that eastern block humor you know <laughs> We talked yeah, a bit about it then. Is, this is funny. This one's very funny. Yeah, this one's more outright funny, even though it's similarly, like, very straight-faced humor. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I, don't, I don't know how straight-faced it is. Some of the faces that our uh, murderer yeah. makes are pretty out there. Oh, th and that guy's face. Just what an incredible face. <laughs> we'll, we'll get no, to that I... in a sec, but what a face. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Uh, so our, our first film is Strangler versus Strangler, a 1984 film directed by Slobodan Shihan. I did look it up and find out how to pronounce it properly. Oh. Oh. <laughs> uh, Shihan is the last name. So it's a, a sh sound with the accent over the S and a, the J is an, is an H sound. I cannot with those Eastern European languages. Uh, I, I it's... have no clue it's it's my origin you know i'm i'm from ukrainian stock so i i feel uh, indebted that i really should uh this has a subtitle a comedy of terrors on screen <laughs> it's pretty great uh so uh, what a cool opening montage this movie has kind of like a mini documentary about the state of belgrade yeah it's uh it's a whole it really feels like actually one thing i wanted to say every this movie feels so modern that I thought I was watching a period piece. Oh, yeah. It's so ahead of its time. Like, this is a movie that could be a hit right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, I made a comment that uh, in 2022, a certain character would react in a certain way to something that happens. Oh, yeah. And then she did almost. Yeah, and there's a few things like this that are kind of strangely and uh, heartwarmingly ahead of their time and just bizarre stuff that happens. That's like, this feels like something that would be in everything everywhere all at once rather than something in an eighties Serbian movie that is not well known here. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're pretty pro transgender for one thing, which totally. is unheard of in 84. Yeah. And like it, it, there is some humor to it where we later see, our, our main guy dressed up as his mom, where, where they kind of laugh at it there, but they're doing it in the other place. And it's like, no, this, this is just like, we're, we're supportive. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the fun part is that the chief of police is like, yeah, yeah, I'm into this. This is great. 
this is great, but here's some constructive criticism. Yeah. But seriously, you got this. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I, I guess our first opening bit before we get to the documentary is that symphony or our first start of the very dramatic symphony that our uh, secondary character creates. Yeah, I, I commented uh, at the beginning before I knew the story behind the symphony is like, this is the angriest symphony I've ever heard. It's so dark and bleak. It's very Eastern European uh, in, in in terms of its like modern classical. It's very dark, very atonal. Uh, and yeah. our our conductor, Spiro, who we will find out later, in these early shots where he's grown his hair out to be a conductor, he looks kind of like Weird Al. I was thinking that. <laughs> like, he looks kind of like, like a knockoff Weird Al here. Yeah. This would have been, I think, before Weird Al hit it big. I think it's like right at the same time. I feel like Weird Al's first album is circa 83. So maybe before he'd reached... Serbia, probably. <laughs> probably. I mean, I bet that took a while. Maybe. Because, like, my, my understanding from this, and, and certainly from watching the special features on this, is that Serbia was a little bit further ahead of the curve in terms of accepting Western humor and Western culture and being kind of uh, more interested in progressive thought than anywhere else in the Eastern Bloc at the time. Yeah. I mean, certainly that this... Certainly seems way ahead of anything in, in Soviet Russia. Oh, yeah. Well, anything way ahead of anything in Russia now from, from what I hear about what's going on there. Well, certainly right now. But there, there was like a period, uh, you know, the Glasnost period and then, you know, 1990 when the wall comes down. Uh, you know, they, they, they got very experimental in the 90s and there was a lot of stuff that's on that. like the, the or, or in, you know, Czechoslovakia or, I, you know, Czech Republic. I, I believe Zero Grad that I watched the other week uh, was one that's sort of about the downfall of the Soviet Union. It's not quite where it had fallen down yet. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, I, I love that it has a quote from Karl Panzram, famed real serial killer at the beginning. Oh yeah, and one of like one of the bad ones. Oh, one of the great ones though. Like such a, a perfect line from him. Karl Panzram, uh I, I have his autobiography, which is fascinating work. Uh it, it's one of please. isn't it one of like the only serial killer written books that's actually readable? Yeah, because like the guy had a way with words. Uh <laughs> he he was a very angry, mean man, but you know, he, he knew how to express it in very uh, visceral ways. So his line here is, I'd like all mankind to have just one neck with my hands around it. That is so... <laughs> this is the opening of your movie. That's so great, yeah. <laughs> After this dark-ass... Dun, 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 dun. Amazing. <laughs> it, I mean, that music is so... When I was doing it with my voice just now, I was, I was without thinking, making a strangling motion with my hand. This is strangle music. <laughs> oh, completely. Stranglecore. Stranglecore. And, and there's that part, like, when, when he is inspired to write the piece is during an act of violence mm -hmm. much later on. So uh, we, we go into that opening montage or the, the mini doc about the state of Belgrade, how, you know, it's almost a modern metropolis. One thing's missing, though. Uh, <laughs> what is one thing the city needs well, to become a metropolis? First, I think it's very interesting to look at the things that it does have. Because, True. It, 
this is really cool. It's all real. Like this is true documentary stuff. This is all stuff that was for real there at the time. Mm, Okay, cool. I didn't know that. So it's, it it seems kind of like a travelogue initially because you have, oh, you know, we've got this many newspapers, we've got this many TV channels, we've got all this many people, and then it starts to drift, and you see homeless people on benches, people who are obviously hungry, mm-hmm. traffic jams, you see horrible, gigantic tower blocks that all look the same. Uh, yeah, their state-of-the-art subway system with a work-suspended sign on the outside. <laughs> yeah, failed public works programs. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's that's how it was, wasn't it? I guess, yeah. And I, guess. I well, you know, because it's right at the end of the Soviet Union, where it's kind of harder to get these public works projects off the ground. Yeah, yeah, the Soviet Union was uh, not too big on spending money at this time. Right, and not as into public works as it used to be. You know, mm-hmm. th- that was like one of its big hallmarks in the early days. Just huge public works projects. So amongst our montage of all the stuff that it does have is when we first see our first victim, uh, we, we see her being identified in the morgue uh, with, you know, the guy who you mentioned looks like Charles Manson. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we also see our inspector Ogie there, although it's going to be quite a while before we're introduced to him. He's got this ridiculous uh, glued on Hitler mustache. <laughs> it's this so character is... This character makes no sense. I love him. He's how is he a cop? How did he get here? He's such a goofball. He's such a movie character. Uh, my my understanding from the interviews and the commentary is that his character especially is just kind of based on a lot of tropes. Like he's a, a character straight out of the Pink Panther. <laughs> I, I was thinking like the Pink Panther, although I hadn't seen it, or like Monty Python or something. Hmm. So uh, we we get a list of the different maniacs that plagued uh, real Belgrade uh, around this time. So there is the cemetery flashers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the uh, uh, the editing of the cemetery flasher photo is what really sold this as a documentary to me because it's all in black and white. It's got like the circle fade in fade out thing. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there are the Rashomons, which are peepers, who, you know, because in, in the movie Rashomon, one of the sequences has someone lurking in the bushes seeing something happen. So apparently this was for real in Belgrade. When people were lurking in the bushes, peeping on people having sex, they were called Rashomons. <laughs> I love the boyfriend after after the paper runs <laughs> yeah. off is just like, oh, another Rashomon. Yeah, it zooms in on his face and it does like the Love American style. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Great. And the uh, the one grand robbery that that came off well, and then all the copycat ones that just everybody got blown away. <laughs> oh yeah, guy gets out of the bank and he's like shot down immediately by fifty cops. Yeah, and then there's one where like the. Uh, the uh, the firefighters help them escape and it's like ah, oh, yeah we we got to find something to do some some sort of fun in this crazy place <laughs> there's the belgrade phantom who stole porsches <laughs> just raced around the police <laughs> and he was popular it looked like yeah i mean that would be kind of fun if he was stealing only really expensive cars in 
uh, an area that probably only oligarchs would have them, right? Probably. You know, at this point in time, 84, I don't feel like a lot of citizens are driving Porsches around Serbia. Probably not. <laughs> uh, the Lift Freak, who is uh, this guy who uh, committed a lot of sexual assaults in elevators from the looks of it. So, wait, was this was this guy real? Apparently, yeah. Oh, shit. I, my, my understanding is all of this stuff up until we're introduced to our strangler is real. Oh, oh, geez. Because yeah. the, the lift freak is scary. Yeah, he's a pretty intense. And then, of course, uh, the last of them before we get to our real our main guy, our character, is the dude who is just shooting anyone wearing a fur coat. <laughs> It's it's weird because I, I feel like it's more of a, a spree thing in Eastern Europe where wearing furs is just a lot more common than it is in North America. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> I, I do like the uh, the fur ladies dying montage. Oh, yeah. It's very funny. <laughs> and of course, the thing that they really need to be a real metropolis is the king of all killers. <laughs> the Strangler. The Strangler. Uh, and we begin with the third murder and then sort of flash back to the others. So our main character, Paramitic, or Mitish, uh, 48 years old. He's very over-mothered. Uh, <laughs> There's there's uh, kind of a, an Oedipal situation there with both of our Stranglers, actually. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, they both have different mommy issues. Yeah. So he, he's a carnation seller. And this guy's face. I mean, before we talk about anything else, this guy's face. This Nobody looks like this guy. Like, I've been trying to think of who to mix into a blender that would come out looking like this guy. And the best I've come up with is... Mr. Bean mixed with that, like, really intense eyebrow guy from The Simpsons. See, I was thinking the really intense eyebrow guy on the board in Hudsucker Proxy. The guy who's uh, just, like, weeping all the time. <laughs> yeah, oh, but, the, one who, the one who tried to kill himself? Yeah, who jumps and, like, the, the window has been changed to a different kind of glass, so he just slides right. down it. Uh, Actually, yeah, more that guy. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, just the, the, the face is so unbelievably recognizable and it, it's so big. Like he has a big face. He has really huge, thick eyebrows. Like he does not look like anybody else. No, he's got like these gigantic eyes and lips. He's just, he, <laughs> yeah, a big face. He's just, he's a big dude. He's a very big dude too. Yeah, he's really tall. He's just huge. And he, he kind of looks like a Peanuts character as an adult. <laughs> oh, totally. Dead, huge eyes. Uh, and he, because of his size, he should be intimidating, but his face just always looks so sad and pathetic. Yeah, he, he just has a real tragic looking face. So the, the first killing, we, we sort of, show up in medias res we see him strangling someone and we know that it's because they hate carnations that it's it's women who don't like carnations are the ones he attacks well it's not just that they don't like it they are no. very vocal about their hatred of carnations like weirdly vocal yeah it, it, like it, it comes up later but it seems to be a sort of 
a political thing almost or or a generational thing where you know carnations are out of fashion now and th- this was true that they'd sort of fallen out of fashion with younger people because you know that's a funeral kind of thing you, you know you, you give roses i didn't know that i i don't know shit about flowers well i mean carnations who who gets carnations now have you ever seen carnations given to anyone personally prior to this movie no like i think maybe i saw my grandmother have carnations one time but you know that's what i'm saying it's it's old country stuff mm-hmm. so he goes home after his third murder which where we're catching up with him so we meet his crazy mom his his very messed up mother who's watching the smurfs when we're first introduced to her and she thinks it's she the way she's laughing at at it is like it's the funniest thing she's ever witnessed in her life oh just cackling and she does look like a witch oh she does uh and her uh, before he shows up when she hears him coming in she switches it to something else like she is is hiding any sort of joy from him (laughs) it's true and then she her punishment of this guy for i don't even know what he was supposed to have done to deserve punishment it's he he comes home with no carnations because he had 120 carnations to sell and we did see him dump a bunch of them outside because Mm. you know he he got busy and strangled someone right and and she says that uh he must have gone to that pastry shop that he loves so much and spent a bunch of uh the carnation money on the pastries well, to be fair, he probably did. We see him do that, and those that doesn't look cheap, what he gets. <laughs> He's eating a lot of them. Like, it's a multi-stacked plate, full. So it, it's a thing of, like, him not bringing all the money back home and or having just dumped some of them, which is true. And he does deserve to be punished. It's just uh, he probably didn't deserve to be punished that many times coming up to this. It, it, it's obviously what's caused... Uh, a certain amount of his derangement rather than being something to punish the derangement that's resulted. Yeah, I, I get the feeling that uh, she would have found something to punish him for anyway. Oh, yeah. You know, he's always going to be wrong. Mm-hmm. So the, the key thing is that when she punishes him, she makes him kneel on these broken seashells on 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 the floor of their house for some reason their hovel i should say does she just have them ready uh she does doesn't she she does it sounds like like, there's one thing that she mentions about how this is the thanks i get for taking you to the seaside so it seems like at some point she took a trip with him to the beach and got all these seashells and now like any time he is not perfect she regrets it and makes and like uses it against him Mm-hmm. Uh, so so he kneels on those and she like canes him and his hands have just these permanent marks from the, like the backs of his hands from being hit with this cane. And, and this causes him to lose his memory of what he was doing uh, that night. Right. Every time she whips him or she canes his hands, he forgets about his crimes. <laughs> Pretty key. <laughs> yeah. So he so he doesn't even know that he's the strangler. Right. Or he doesn't fully know. Obviously, 
on some level he knows because he's really into the song about the strangler, even though he doesn't realize that it's about him fully. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we, we get the thing about how carnations have been, have gone out of fashion and that's why he's killing women who refuse them. Uh, and it flashes back to the first murder where we, as mentioned, there's that guy who looks like Manson and this lady, and they're on a date, and it looks like it's going really badly. She already looks like she just wants to get the fuck out. They've clearly had some sort of big argument, and it, he's come into the aftermath of that argument and just like, oh, so romantic, would you like a carnation? Man, fuck off, get out of my face. <laughs> but she loses it, though. Yeah, she goes totally nuts. She she says, I hate carnations, and he's trying to do his lugubrious thing where it's just, oh, uh, please accept this as a gift then. Uh, you no charge at all. Yeah, and she just slaps it out of his hand. And he, he is and it just broken by it. Yeah. So this is the first murder. Him uh, suddenly, like her just hating the carnation so much. And it's not even about the carnation. It's him making it about the carnation and making it about himself when she's obviously got other shit going on. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's more about how rejecting the carnation is rejecting him. Yeah, exactly. So he follows her home. She she goes home and she's just really angry all the way. And she goes up to her apartment and she sees him just lurking out there and she's pissed off. She does the smartest thing you could do and uh, goes out to confront the guy who followed her home. Not a smart thing to do. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't no. know why she doesn't just call the cops or something, but that's definitely what she should have done. But she goes out and uh, yeah, he strangles her. That's the first murder of the one we saw being identified in the morgue in the montage at the beginning. Mm. And then it's the next night and he, he's already on murder number two. So he's, pretty instantly uh, a really like fast-paced serial killer he's sort of on a spree yeah it, it, usually it takes serial killers a lot longer to ramp up yeah there's usually a cooling off period between the first couple first few <laughs> uh, Maybe but he course, doesn't need it because he doesn't remember doing the killing true true uh, first we do see him eating all of these cream cakes uh, at his favorite bakery I'm talking about how he's going to go to the opera because, you know, people at the opera are good. Opera's good. People who go to the opera like flowers. <laughs> yeah, he figures he's going to make a killing on these flowers there. I bet I bet this guy doesn't make any money at all. Well, I mean, they live in this hovel and it doesn't seem like the mom lets him use any of the money except for these the, the stuff that he kind of uses while he is away. So the, yeah. the cream cake seem to be the only thing he's able to spend money on. Yeah, and he has to sneak around to do it. Right. Well, he doesn't really need to sneak around. She is obviously not leaving that chair ever. <laughs> well, yeah, but he, he's still doing it behind her back. Yeah, he, he's getting punished for it, ultimately. But I feel like he's getting punished every day anyway, so he just kind of does what he wants to do. <laughs> That's probably what it is. So his big thing that night is he wants to give carnations to the lead actress. He's really impressed by her performance. And, you know, after going through the whole place, he goes to her uh, dressing room where she's already, again, yelling about how much she hates 
carnations that like there's all these carnations in her dressing rooms. Like I hate these fucking flowers. They remind She's me of like death. Carnations flying out of the doorway. And he walks into it and is shocked, shocked that she doesn't want more of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And also doesn't seem to realize how scary it is that a huge giant man is just walking into a woman's dressing room. Well, yeah, just this huge guy with this big sweaty face and he's, he's creepy. Like he lurks everywhere he goes. He he never feels like someone who is in a room with you. He feels like someone who's lurking around a room with you. Mm-hmm. So of course he follows her down and he he kills her. So you know we're we're in a spree now. This is my favorite one because he somehow he's already figured out the slasher teleport and uh, ended up in her shower. Yeah. <laughs> the look on his face as he's in the shower, like trying to be scary and menacing, but like the water's dripping into his eyes. It's like <laughs> half closing. <laughs> well, yeah, and he's wearing his formal suit that he wears everywhere, this black suit like an undertaker all the time. Mm, yeah. And when he strangles her, her scream turns into like an opera uh, wail. Like, oh. Right. Oh. I, like, wh- that. that is one of the things that makes this movie so great is that it will be, it will be in the middle of a scene and then do something that's really insane and totally unrealistic. He's like, Remember, this is a movie. <laughs> it's like we're we're gonna keep showing, like, yeah, this is a murder happening, but we don't need to take it too seriously because this is very much not real. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, we we meet our comical lead detective. He's on TV, and he's like, "Look, there's no need for alarm." <laughs> of course, of course, there's definitely not a serial killer going around. Couldn't be. Uh, so we are introduced while like seeing the report. We're introduced to our other main character, Spiridon or Spiro. Uh, this guy is uh, a different kind of weirdo. Like again, he's got that Oedipal thing where so it, he sees the report and he chokes, and his dad tries to revive him with a Heimlich, but he overdoes it, and he's just like unconscious on the floor. And, and his his stepmother, who's like a hot. Really hot girl his age. Hot um, nurse who used to take care of the mother before she died. Right. Uh, is giving both to both and totally making out with him. Completely. And I just love the narrator who says, Spiro was a very shy boy. His family situation might have had something to do with this. Yeah, it's, it was a complicated family relationship there. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it is a, a point of comparison between them. Both of them have really serious mommy issues. It's just Para's mother is brutal and abusive, whereas his mother is absent, but he's got this weird Oedipal relationship with the stepmother. Yeah. Um, at first, it seems like it's made him hate beautiful women because he, he tries to strangle right. her briefly. Yeah. And then he's just like, oh, I've been possessed by the Strangler. <laughs> right. He he claims to have this psychic connection with the Strangler, which I like I remember reading about that in the uh, just in other write ups or reviews of that and thinking that was actually going to be a thing. But it seems to just be a thing he makes up that one time that he saw him on TV and just kind of was inspired to do the same thing. But he clearly does not have any real 
connection to him, theoretically. I mean, maybe, because oh. there's that part where he shows up at his house later. Well, I think he uh, he thinks he does. I thought at first he was just uh, using that as an excuse, but we see him, like, thinking to himself, and I think he thinks he has a psychic mm-hmm. connection. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because, uh, and I guess the one thing in evidence of it is later when Para just shows up at his house somehow. Like, he just knows where he lives. Uh, Para's good at stalking, though. True, yeah. I mean, that's just sort of his thing. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he claims to have this telepathic link, and he is hanging with his band, uh, his band The Symbols. <laughs> Oh my god, I love his interactions every time he's with the band because he's got like this lead guitarist who is committing the crime of having a personality. <laughs> uh, I I really dig the whole band. Well, like they're all actual post-punk musicians from Serbia in the '80s, like including our main guy Spiro. Oh shit, him too. He's in a band called Idoli, which are sort of the great Serbian post-punk band. So yeah, kind of cool. Oh. Cool, cool. And they bring that authenticity to it. Like, the song, The Belgrade Strangler, kind of rips. <laughs> the music video that they have for it, I feel like I've watched it on MTV, like, so many times as a kid, which obviously I didn't, but it, it feels so authentic that it, it feels like it's something they would have spammed. It is dead on. Like, uh, the, the different locations that they're in, you know, him... Uh, dressed as the strangler out in the streets and there's just this one lady who's just constantly vomiting over and over again <laughs> in the video uh, them sp- spending way too much time in the boxing ring as and his, the, the boxing referee, ring. which <laughs> has nothing to do with anything that's happening in the song but is absolutely something that goes into these videos yeah i remember boxing rings being a pretty popular venue in weird old videos do you remember the Duran Duran music video for girls on film. Little scene because I think it got banned. There's quite a bit of nudity in it. <laughs> uh, no, I don't. Rem- I don't think I've seen it. It's pretty funny. It's it's you know them doing a mud wrestling video because Duran Duran were always very horny. I mean they're named after characters from uh, Barbarella after all. <laughs> oh, I did. I did not know that. Uh, so yeah, they they have that music video after first. You know they're they're just hanging out. They have a song that's just. Baby, baby. <laughs> yeah, the uh, one of the band members is like, hey, why don't you uh, incorporate your psychic connection with the Strangler into this song? Yeah, we could make a song about the Strangler. That seems like it might actually take off. And he's like, hmm, good idea. And then we immediately cut to the music video, which is retrofitting the song that they were already singing before he brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that they've got a music video out, like, instantly... So quick. <laughs> I, I just and the, like they're popular. He, he's got radio interviews already. I thought these guys were at like garage band status at this point. Well, it seems like they kind of are, but it does also like I, I, I guess the thing is we're used to the North American landscape where there's a whole lot of space that you would have to uh, become successful in to be like a radio hit. Whereas, you know, yeah. in. in in small European countries, you can have a local hit that's the whole country very easily. I mean, that happens point. in the UK all the time. Yeah, that's true. I guess in the US and North America, you got to jump through a lot more hoops, too. Yeah. But yeah, they, they just become big pretty quickly. 
Uh, and Para hears it, and he's a fan. He's into it, but he doesn't know why he's into it. <laughs> and, yeah, he's like, he's listening to it at the pastry shop, and the pastry lady's like, you don't even like this kind of music. Why do you like this one particular song? It's about the Strangler, dude. Yeah, don't you think that's gross? Also, weren't you just talking about talking up how great opera is the other day and how, you know, those are the people who buy flowers, so that's good art? And he's he's basically like, hey, you know, maybe the Strangler's got a really good reason for doing what he <laughs> right. does. Yeah, he's like, hey, come on, youth, the youth are good. Just get with the program, lady. <laughs> I love, like, the, like, um, the kind of split because he's very much from, like, this old what you think of like old eastern european kind of uh, yes setting. Yes. whereas spiro's like on the cutting edge like new wave uh <laughs> he's hilariously new wave like what he's riding around on his fucking rollerblades in his crazy <laughs> suit <laughs> his ridiculous jumpsuit with the hat trying to be inconspicuous oh all red jumpsuit like a flight hat that, that covers his entire head and his glasses that look like goggles yeah he looks nuts he looks like he stepped out of a devo music video <laughs> or skated out of one i should say the icing on the cake is how bad he is at roller skating oh yeah he is constantly falling over and running into stuff so the third killing that we saw at the beginning we get back to that and we see someone witnessing it somehow and they don't recognize him <laughs> unbelievable well you see our, our eyewitness who who already knows him <laughs> yeah but you see when he's strangling he's not holding his he's using two hats so he's not holding his carnation basket so how do you know it's him I guess, I mean, that's his argument. But the thing is, she knows him as the carnation seller. Like, yeah. How did she not recognize that face? I mean, even at a great distance, if you saw anything at all of that guy, it's like, well, that's a huge face. I know that face. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's the carnation seller. He, he, he's the type of guy who'd be a local celebrity. Oh, completely. Like, oh, so, there's Para the carnation seller. Let's just... Just let him do his thing in our cafe and he'll get out. Well, it, he kind of does seem to be that. And she even recognizes him in that sense. It's like, oh, come on. Everybody knows that guy. That's Para the Carnation Seller. Don't be stupid. But, like, she has this it, – it's a long shaggy dog kind of joke where she goes in to do a, a police lineup. <laughs> oh, my God, yeah. And she's just laughing at the people they bring out. Like, where did you get this hunchback? Yeah, like, how's he going to strangle someone? His arms couldn't reach. Are you kidding me? It's uh, just like heckling them. Yeah, the, the the inspector's like, man, could you just tone it down, lady? These are all potential criminals who could, who are actually, like, one of them could be a serial killer. Could we just, you know, figure this out? Also, they could hear you. Yeah, they're like three feet away and there's no glass. They're just on a stage in front of her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And also, she wants to be paid to do the the identification. She requests 500 dinars. <laughs> and, and she puts back one of the – she gives it back one of the bills like, hey, this one's like a little ripped. <laughs> yeah, this one's got a tear. Like, <laughs> fine, whatever. Okay, Jesus. And ultimately, yeah, we have the whole thing where – 
three different lineups are brought out. The first bunch, I'm like, that the, is the one with the hunchback. She's like, come on, get real. Uh, and then it's it's the third one where she's like, come on, bring out some really huge guys. This guy was really tall. And the very last one brought out is Para. Yeah, and he's like, excuse me, gentlemen, she won't recognize me without the, my basket. Right, it's basically him admitting that he was the guy and that she will recognize him. <laughs> Just and like it's, it, there's all these fake outs with it because also it has the bit where, because uh, previously he's like, okay, well, you know, to to keep you from being identified as being the witness, we'll have a secret <laughs> sim- oh, signal where you just nod. <laughs> <laughs> just like this gigantic nod and he's like what the hell are you doing <laughs> she's like the secret sign he's like oh oh and he he picks out para and it's like oh well this guy is obviously the guy and he brings him <laughs> up and he's like no no you idiot that's para the carnation seller <laughs> it was that this guy. guy this guy looks nothing like para none of these guys look anything like each other He's completely bald. (laughs) He does not have giant eyebrows. He doesn't have the huge eyes. He doesn't have the huge face. And she's like, look at him. You can tell he's evil. Just look at that face. (laughs) And Ogi, or, yeah, uh, our our, uh, inspector Ogi, he's like, please just take the 500 dinars back from her. This is stupid. (laughs) Well, he he tells the guy, uh, the guy that she picked, just like, put your uniform back on. Yeah, put your uniform back on. We're, we're going to take that money back. I, I have such a headache right now. I hate you so much. <laughs> she picked the cop. <laughs> you probably picked from several cops, right? Probably. But yeah, I, I, it's the most unbelievable part of the movie, even more unbelievable than later when the cat talks the guy out of suicide, that uh, she you does not do recognize that. his face. Sure. <laughs> Uh, using words. <laughs> oh, well, maybe not. Uh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous that you could see this man and then not be able to pick him out of a lineup. Completely absurd. So, Ogi, or Inspector Ognyan Strahinjik, uh, who is already losing his grip. We're We're seeing him starting to mentally devolve, and he will also eventually go nuts, like everybody in this movie. <laughs> oh yes uh this guy uh kind of a big star in serbia he was the voice of bugs bunny uh for the serbian dubs no kidding yeah the the inspector <laughs> i could see it he has cartoon energy he definitely does maybe more than anyone in this uh, i think so yeah so then we're introduced to our last major character uh sophia the host of Rakolad, uh, like who's her. interviewing Spiro. Oh yeah, she's great. She she rules because they could have easily had this character just be like a vapid airhead, but no, she does like a serious hard takedown of this guy. She is arguably the smartest character in the movie. It's just it goes all wrong for her. <laughs> she's the smartest, but she's still not that smart. No, but she is the most likable character. Oh, yeah, no, she's great. (laughs) She's easily the most likable character in the movie. But yeah, she's interviewing him and just like, I don't I don't know if I like this uh, song about strangling women. Like, what's your problem with women, dude? 
<laughs> and yeah, she's she's like grilling him. She's like, well, what do you have to say about is your horror concert going to be a safe place for women? Yeah, and of course it will. Uh, and she's talking about how uh, like, well, have you ever strangled a woman? He's like, no, I've, I've never been able to get close to a woman's neck when she's awake. It's like, oh, that's really <laughs> creepy, dude. <laughs> yeah, he's like, they need to have their eyes closed. I've never had a chance. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not afraid of men. Why don't you strangle me, tough guy? <laughs> and, and he freaking does. He she's does, like, and. He kind of goes into a trance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or he claims he's, to. Well, maybe a little of both. He yeah. does, and he's also claiming to. And I think he's overblowing the trance-ness of it. I agree, yeah. It, it does not seem... Like, it rarely comes up. Most of the time, it just kind of seems like he wants to have this hoax where he's connected with it. Because he really messes with the inspect, uh, with the investigation later. Oh, God, yeah. But, like, in the completely wrong way so that he becomes the main suspect. Yeah. Well, he becomes the main suspect right here because uh, Strahinjik is driving home and listening to the radio and hearing the interview and is like, oh, my God, he's the strangler. Oh, that's what I thought at first. But then when he's – I think he's just mad that they're – doing such a realistic strangling on the radio rather well, it, than mad that it's the stranglers right there. It's a bit of both because he really does say stuck on him the whole movie. He's pretty sure he's the guy even like not there, there is one point where he doesn't think he's the guy when they get the ear, but up until then he's sure. And then after later on, like at the end, he's sure again. <laughs> mm, well, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, she she gets strangled a little bit, and with her as well, it's sort of a weird thing where she's like, that wasn't very funny, and I, I don't appreciate that at all, but she's also kind of into it in a weird kind of way. Yeah, this is what I was talking about when I said if this movie had been made in 2022, she would have been totally into it and would have been like, choke me daddy. This. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like she's just, like, she would have had an awakening right here. Oh, absolutely. Then I uh, realized but, she maybe almost did, and she was she just yeah. didn't know what to do with it yet. Right, uh, and then uh, Stahinjik calls in, like he bails out of his car and gets into a phone booth and phones the place, and it's like, "What are you doing there? Don't you know children listen to this program?" <laughs> yeah, uh, and he this is when he decides, like, "Okay, we're we're gonna have to stake out the concert." Obviously, when uh, that concert happens, our guy's gonna be there if he's on stage or if he's in the audience. He's gonna be there. So his plan is to get is to do like a sting. He wants them to get twenty female agents. Yeah, but they don't have twenty. Yeah, so they get the lineup of cops uh, dressed up to uh, infiltrate the the concert. <laughs> <laughs> and they get to the last one. <laughs> and yeah, I I really love this moment where he's looking at him and. You realize that, like, yeah, it's this guy with a very square jaw wearing makeup and stuff. And you see him looking at him for, like, a good long beat. And it is a worrying moment in an 80s movie when you see something like this and, like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. <laughs> well, well, the problem is in the 80s, it's like, no, I know how this is going to go. Right. Usually you're going to get the Ace Ventura treatment. Whereas here, he's, it's like, Rodeljob. Is that you? 
She's like, yeah, yeah. I, 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 we didn't have enough women. I, I just, I've decided to volunteer. I, I have no idea why. <laughs> and he's just like, great. I love it. Yeah. Here's he, zero gay panic. There is not a moment of it. He's just like, huh, what a great idea. <laughs> and starts giving him pointers. I'm so impressed. <laughs> but you need to feel like a woman. So make sure you just say to yourself, I am a woman. I am a woman. Yeah, repeat after me over and over. Repeat, I am a woman. I am a woman. And, and yeah, you can see. Total support. See, yeah, and then when he starts saying it, you can see the smile on his face like, oh, man. He's like, the, this, case, the, this worked way better than I expected it possibly could have. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's somebody having an awakening. Oh, definitely. It's sort of a movie about a lot of people having various awakenings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not all of them are good. Well, this most one, of them don't turn out great. None of them turn out Ultimately, great. Ultimately, yeah. <laughs> Nothing turns out great in this movie. It is a black comedy where just, you know, people are constantly failing. Kind of like our second movie. Kind of. <laughs> in a different sort of way. Yeah. Uh, so, the concert. We we just see them sing the same song. I assume they have other songs, but it's the only one we ever hear in the movie. There's one little moment that almost like you blink and you miss it, where the lead guitarist is doing a guitar solo, and the guy, the singer just looks at him like he's about, like he wants to lose his shit, but he's like on stage, so he just mm-hmm. angrily turns his back to him. Yeah, because he's just got a lot of rage in him. Uh, so... And and also at the concert, he is explicitly just singing to Sophia, uh, the the uh, Rakalad lady, the the interviewer later. Yeah, she's she's like doing a she she's recording the concert. Mm-hmm. And he is just singing directly to her. Meanwhile, Para, of course, is at the concert selling carnations and having a great time. Yeah, he's having a blast because the song's about him, and people even though he doesn't know it. Yeah, they're buying his carnations. Oh, well, almost everyone does. Almost everyone. Everyone's being really nice, except we see uh, Rodolia, I think, come out of the ladies' room and go to speak to uh, the inspector, who, again, you know, sends him off and like, repeat after me. You know, what are you doing? You're you're getting all bunched up. Go go out there and dance. (laughs) (laughs) And then he's like having such a good time out there. I love how like. But, like, the inspector's being not just supportive, but also, like, really protective. Yeah. A little too protective, because he, he keeps radioing her. Or... Yeah. Yeah, it is it is sort of a weird uh, way that... Because <laughs> Rodolio is also the only one who is successful in a weird sort of way, too. Because it, it comes up later, and like, well, you're the only one of the doves who attracted anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's... Radios in like I just about got raped by two guys. Oh great, keep it up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, he runs into Para, of course, and does not just really anti carnations all of a sudden because I, I just want to dance. Screw you, you weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh oh. Yeah. It, it should be the. And there, there's like a long pause before he comes after because, uh, the you know, the concert breaks up and it's like, go just be lonely outside. Look like you're lonely and maybe we can attract someone. Yeah, yeah. And that's when the two creeps show up. 
Right. And they're, they're uh, kind of going after and just like it, it becomes a whole thing. Have to radio in. And then, yeah, the I was just about raped. I'm like, oh, good. Awesome. Keep it up. <laughs> it's not working <laughs> out for anybody else. Yeah. So then he's just repeating again. I am a woman. I am a woman. And then from behind. Yeah. Coming out of an alley. Huge. From the shadows. Oh, so cool. Uh, so he starts strangling Rodolyab, and uh, Rodolyab finally turns around and is like, I, I'm a man, uh, to, to shock him. And it kind of destroys Para's mind in a way. <laughs> yeah, he's just going, oh, he, oh like, he oh screams mommy. He screams mommy and runs back, I, I think, home. I believe so, yeah. Or, well, first, you know, he's chased. People saw him again. Oh, yeah, like, right. he's been seen twice. And he, he escapes down the manhole into the sewers. Oh, yeah, that's right. He has to open up the manhole and go in, and he can, like, he can barely fit, too. Yeah, he's a big guy. Uh, and and later we just see him waking up in the sewer and he's like, how did I get here? This is kind of strange. <laughs> oh, yeah, the narrator's like, judging by... From where he woke up, Para thought he was going to get scolded again. Yeah. And he, he probably did. Oh, oh, he did. Oh, he did. So Ogi goes home. Inspector Ogi. He, he heads oh, home. poor guy. And he talks to his cat, George. <laughs> <laughs> the, the death of his undercover agent really hit him hard. Yeah, he is very... He, he's taking it really badly. Uh, it, it, obviously, Rodolyub meant a lot to him, and especially just the enthusiasm uh, of the, the scheme and everything was just meaningful to him. So mm-hmm. he's going to commit suicide. He's, you know, th- This is not working out. He feels really bad about having blown it and not caught the guy that night. <laughs> yeah, he sets up um, a belt and a lamp, or like the hanging ceiling lamp, which... I don't think it would have supported his weight. No, anyway, I, I think if <laughs> I think if he had actually tied it and jumped, it would have broken from the ceiling. And that's kind of what I was expecting to happen. I was expecting that, too. But what really happens? <laughs> yeah, the, the cat just looks surprised all of a sudden and runs up and jumps on the table and starts meowing. And it cuts to subtitles for the cat and intertitles <laughs> like silent movie. And the cat explains to him about how he's really needed and it's important that he don't kill himself. <laughs> and, and like the the English subtitles are coming up on the screen in time to the cat's meowing. It's so brilliant. Amazing. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And then, then he goes down to pick up the cat and when he bends Almost strangles himself, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> oh my god. And so meanwhile, Sophia calls Spiro. And she tells him, you're going to want to watch the the TV special for Rock Alad tonight, because uh, I'm going to be talking about the concert on there. She's like, I, I think it'll help you. Yeah. So we see her piece on him sort of through Para seeing it with his mother while she's playing the organ and screaming this fucking religious song. <laughs> yeah, they're playing the organ. Uh, he, he's pumping the pedals. And right. She's screaming and they've got, but they've got the TV right in front of the organ playing yeah. this video. 
Right. And he's like, mother, could you please stop screaming? So I, I just want to hear this song. It's my favorite song. Uh, can you please just tone it down? I, I won't even stop. We'll, we'll still do this. <laughs> yeah, but of course she won't because honor a request. <laughs> what does she think she is? Yeah, of course. Uh, so obviously he starts strangling her without even realizing he's doing it. One handed. Yeah, one handed over her mouth while he's like watching the TV just enraptured. Although he is also very offended by Sophia because she she didn't like the concert. She has a negative review. And he thinks now he thinks that she said talks shit about the carnations, but she didn't, did she? She sort of does because she does bring up the connection of carnations to funerals. And that, like, everybody was buying carnations there that night and uh, having a laugh about its connection to death. Right, because it's like a pre-goth goth goth show. Right. Well, I guess proto-goth. Like, goth would have been coming about right around this time. Yeah, no, probably a couple years earlier, but maybe not in Serbia yet, because I think Bauhaus certainly would have been around by this point. Oh, probably. Bella Lugosi is dead. Uh (laughs) So, yeah, he's offended by her not liking the song. He's offended by her not liking carnations. He's offended by her wearing pants. Oh, yeah, the whole thing about how the inspector thinks that the common thread between all the murdered girls is that they're wearing pants. And it's weird because it isn't up until that point. But then there's that part later where he's talking to the little girl in the park. And he's like, are you a girl or a boy? She's like, I'm a girl. Like, I don't like that little girls are wearing pants. <laughs> like, hmm. Did he pick it up from the TV or was this already something internalized? I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I think all three characters are just feeding into each other, just constantly making everything worse. I agree. It seems to be just this weird feedback loop between all of these people. And it's just like destroying all of them. It's no good for anyone's health. Mm hmm. So after the whole uh, the whole piece on the news plays out, he finally realizes that he's killed his mother. <laughs> See, I kind of got the impression that it didn't click into him until much, much after this. It's it's right after this. Like he, it it's a weird thing where he does the psycho thing where uh, I like. I guess you haven't seen that, but uh, Norman Bates has this belief that his mother is always telling him to do stuff it's like the inverse jason's mom yeah kind of which again i I, it's probably ripped off of psycho which again comes from ed gein to begin with yeah Uh, so it's him realizing it but then she continues to haunt him and he's keeping her body around and he's just weird about it (laughs) oh yeah yeah eventually he's gonna dress up like her and go killing But I guess the important key is that he'll no longer forget the killings after this point. He knows he's the killer now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And he'll he'll continue to know he's the killer. And it won't stop him from doing it. It's not like he uh, regrets his actions or anything. No, and he also remembers all the other kills while he's watching this piece because he sees Rodolyop on the TV dancing in, in the club. And all of, like, that kill floods back to him and is like oh my god i just i remember now i killed all those people i'm the belgrade strangler (laughs) yeah that's 
Uh, and then we have Spiro angrily strangling a blow-up doll. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> right. And the mother, like, barges in, or the stepmother barges into the room wearing sexy lingerie. She's never wearing anything else. And she's like, what are you doing? You, you, you know, you don't have to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, you don't need that blow-up Whoosh. Doll. Right over his head every time. <laughs> yep. And he decides to write a love letter that ends up not being a love letter once he starts putting it together because he's, like, writing a ransom letter style. Yeah, it, it starts out like he's writing a love letter to Sophia that turns into a threatening letter to the detective. Yeah, a hoax letter as the Strangler. He's doing the Zodiac thing. Yeah, uh, I'm going to—my next kill will be on Friday. Yeah, there will be no murders for three days. I know he's, oh, we've got three days to prepare. He he wouldn't fool me. (laughs) The other detective is like, well, dude. What if this is just some rando? Yeah, what if this is a rando? Or what if he's trying to throw us off? Or what if, like, you know, all very valid, very valid points. He's like, no. Yeah, no, I, he he wouldn't lie to me. I know it's him. This sounds like the guy. And it's his guy. It's the guy who he thinks did it. So it kind of tracks. <laughs> oh, yeah, his notepad. <laughs> his notepad that he's oh, yeah. in case with <laughs> is just... Uh, just the name of that guy. Uh, possible killer and a question mark. <laughs> yeah, which he <laughs> later will cross out and then just keep underlining the name. Yep, yeah. and that's as he's investigating the case... Right, and he, uh, in the letter, uh, Spiro also says that it's because of women wearing pants. So he's the one that introduces that belief. <laughs> so again, maybe this is part of that potential psychic connection that Spiro gave him that idea, and it's later, like it's the next time he runs into someone that he thinks that. I don't know where the pants thing came from. It's yeah, I I don't know. It's, it just appears out of nowhere, but everybody is grabbed onto it at the same time. He's like, oh yeah, well that makes sense. Pants, women wearing pants. You don't do that. That's like the Homer Simpson <laughs> serial killer motivation. Yeah. Don't you hate pants? Don't you hate pants? So Para calls into uh, the Rockalad call-in show. Both he wants to request the song and he wants to complain about the negative review. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and he's just stuck on the carnations, though. Like, why do you hate carnations so much? Yeah, and she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> What's your deal? Why are you so angry? And he's, like, loudly eating cakes on the phone, too. He has the huge <laughs> plate of cakes in front of him. Oh, man. And then when it hands out you see the pastry girl lying on the floor yeah the baker has been strangled which does kind of seem like he's heading towards an end game it it does seem like right from the beginning that he's trying to get caught because when he's in the police line i was like oh i could make it easier for you to identify me let me try this (laughs) (laughs) um well this right here is going to be the start of his uh, what some people call the serial killer berserker mode yeah well and that's usually what happens after you kill the main target like obviously this is all misdirected anger at the mother so you know it's it's the ed kemper thing when he's killed the mother obviously he he's just in end game now it doesn't really matter what happens to him 
Yeah, well, when he killed the mother, he's just like, all right, that's it. I'm done. He just turns himself in after that. True. Well, not right away. He has some fun with the body first. Oh, well, uh, yeah. You gotta uh, take out the vocal cords and bury them in the backyard or whatever. Maybe he put them down the garbage, com- the 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 uh, trash compactor or whatever. It's one of the two. I, I remember it being one of these things where he has a whole joke about it. Or you know, oh no, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, Ted Bundy had a real berserker mode though. Yeah, the most berserker mode. But I. No, I guess that would have happened by this point, too. Oh, oh yeah. That, He'd be in jail by this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But all the big the ones. The second time. <laughs> yeah, all the big ones, I think, except for Dahmer, have happened by now. Yeah, quite a few, certainly. So, Ogie is absolutely shocked when there's a, a second victim. He's, he's, like, <laughs> he's asleep in his chair, and a couple cops come in and is like, there's a dead woman downstairs. He's like, oh, what did she want? <laughs> <laughs> she was killed like, by the she, strangler. It's like, but that, that's impossible. He wouldn't lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dude, the real strangler has never interacted with you. Well, he has. He just is totally oh, yeah, aware of it. That's he, right. he bumped into him at the concert. Well, both at the concert and in the police lineup when oh, he yeah, right. had arrested him and was like, okay, this is our guy. Put him away. And just like, no, it's not him. That's Para. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know Para. It can't be the guy. So Ogie has so much of a meltdown that they have to put him in a padded room to fight a dummy. <laughs> uh, and the head doctor of whatever, the asylum or whatever, is hmm. uh, Spiro's dad. Oh, yeah, that's right. His psychiatrist father. Uh, and he's removed from the case, but he he's not told that he's removed from the case, but I love that shot of him just in a padded room, body slamming this dummy. And it zooms out to show the two guys like, so <laughs> what do we do now? <laughs> well, that's the thing. A serial killer investigations famously like just ruin the lives of the cops who do them. They're tough. If they, if they get cops who actually want to do the work that is, which a lot of yeah. the time they don't. Yeah, I mean that that's what makes them hard to catch is they're they they don't follow the natural patterns. They're not uh people who are necessarily connected to uh the victims. They're just, you know, deranged individuals. It it makes it a very hard thing to uh go after. Mm-hmm. So the doctor's like, "Listen, he's fine now. We we probably shouldn't let him be on the actual case, but let him think he's still on the case." <laughs> <laughs> if you take him off the case now, it'll just break his heart. Yeah, I mean, it, it. he will just lose it. And we do know that he's fragile. We have seen him try to commit suicide once already. So we know, it's like, yeah, I guess this doctor isn't totally wrong. I'd just leave him in the room if it was I, me. He seemed to be having a pretty good time fighting that <laughs> dummy. <laughs> just this little tiny old man just eating the shit oh my god it's so, so good. good and and him coming out after they've had the whole conversation like adjusting his time is like i'm all better now just <laughs> needed to get it out of my system we're all good and then the just the bit with him giving him that juice and he has the juice and like this is the most amazing juice i've ever had what is this and then uh the the uh i guess the police chief offers him a cigarette and he just eats it <laughs> <laughs> Right. Washes it down with the rest of the juice. <laughs> she just looks at him like, uh, 
Um, and yeah, he's completely unaware that he's done anything strange. He's like, it's okay. I've got the perfect plan. You know, it, it, we already know he's not going to have another killing until the night after next. Remember, he told us. And <laughs> I have the exact plan that will definitely catch him. There's no way he could get away. Let's go. And he walks into a closet and closes the door. <laughs> <laughs> he stays there for like a good 10 seconds. Yeah, before he's like, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go now. <laughs> Just so confidently. <laughs> so good. This is so funny. So then they, uh, this is when Spiro is just roller skating around, following uh, Sophia, and Ogi is following Spiro, and there's cops following Ogi to make sure that he doesn't do anything strange. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, the cop's radioing in, he's like, ah, he's just been following this weird kid all day. And it's like, oh, well, that's good. That that keeps him out of our way. That's that's <laughs> probably for the best. This is when he's wearing that ridiculous red jumpsuit and, like, white pilot cap. Oh, it's so great. And this is where also Ogi is following him. And, like, he's looking weird. He's roller skating around being a strange dude. And he crosses out the question mark and starts underlining the name. Like, oh, he's definitely the killer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the moment where he sees him change directions and he's in a taxi or I, maybe it's he's being driven by another police officer and he just has him reversing down the street for a considerable amount of time just so he can watch him. Oh, yeah. He, like a couple of times they nearly get into an accident. Yeah. Just reversing down a busy street downtown. This is such a waste of taxpayer money. I guess. <laughs> uh, or however, the, whatever the Soviet equivalent is, I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know what it would have been at this point, especially in Serbia, which is sort of a satellite one. Like, it's not necessarily governed in exactly the same way. Obviously, they had a little bit more leniency in terms of their media. Like, they were allowed to go punk sooner. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. So Para wakes up in the park. He's just asleep in the park and a soccer ball hits him. Oh yeah, this is the little girl. Yeah, and she's like, "Are you a are are you a boy or a girl?" Uh, and she says, "Like a girl." And he complains about her wearing pants, and she says that she doesn't like carnations because he's going. He's like, "Would you like a carnation, little girl?" He's like, "No, I don't like carnations." And it's clearly a moment where it seems like he's going to attack this child, but then her parents <laughs> immediately show up. Yeah, it even does, I think, the music, too. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, like, uh-oh, he's on to children next. Oh, phew, saved by the parent. Yeah, the parents show up, and it's like, no, no, we're not going to go that far. <laughs> this is a Stop comedy, after all. This... Stop playing with this weird, sweaty man. Yeah, this this guy looks strange. Let's not. <laughs> so, uh, while... The cop who's handling him is calling in to say, like, yeah, he's just following this kid. I don't know. It seems fine, I guess. But Ogie steals the car while he's out of it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he's completely lost it by this point. He doesn't really know what he's doing. He drives through a building. <laughs> <laughs> like like uh, Bronson in that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, but he doesn't need to. There's nothing... 
there's nothing going on. Like he's, he, and it's not even him going after someone or him going through the front of the building. He goes in the back door and out the front, like the 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 big doors in the back. Yeah, you just you see him come out through like the the front window. And then we catch up with what's going on with Spiro and Sophia, where they're going through all these cool back alleys in the neon of 80s Serbia, which is kind of cool. And it does seem at this point that Spiro is going to attack Sophia. He's he's got a special strangling rope, actually. Yeah, he's got the rope. Presumably. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's supposed to be sexy as well, uh, but it does seem like he is going to attack her. And, like, he jumps up, and he's got the rope, and she's surprised, but he surprises her, or she surprises him, and he falls over. <laughs> and, and as he's falling over, that's when Paris shows up behind her. He emerges from the bushes. He's a Rashomon. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the Rashomon Strangler. Right. And so he starts strangling her. And this is the best effect in the movie. It is so gross. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. She she bites his ear and just rips the whole thing clean off his head. Like Mike Tyson would be proud. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, oh, mommy. It's so gory. It's, oh, <laughs> it's amazing. Like, it's the goriest moment ex- in the movie. I was not expecting an effect this good. No, it's so out of nowhere after, you know, we've only seen these stranglings, so there hasn't been any blood up to this point. And just, ooh, that ear coming off, it's so gross. Actually, yeah, there hasn't really been any special effects here yet. Yeah. Uh, and then, for some reason, Sophia decides that Spiro had saved her life, even though obviously she was the one who saved herself. Yeah, uh, he... Maybe because he warned her, but he didn't really, though, because she because if she had faced forward, she would have seen Para coming. Yeah, she had her back turned to him because she was looking at him about to attack her. Very strange. Well, maybe she lost some of her memory for. It just seems like she was kind of into him and had conflicted feelings about the whole thing. And then him obviously not being the strangler here and. Uh, her taking out the other guy kind of, you know, it it tipped the scales in his favor. Right, yeah. That could be. Because I I do get the feeling she was kind of into it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they have this weird moment where they're kissing while she's got just a mouthful of Para's blood. (laughs) (laughs) Which the narrator calls out. Yeah, it's like, well, you're kissing with the blood on her lips. I'm like, ew. (laughs) The detective just goes flying onto the screen. Of course. Not even into anything or towards anything. He just does a flying tackle onto the ground. Yeah, like he does. (laughs) He's got weird energy to him. He's got very cartoon energy. Mm. So Para goes home, and he gets in an argument with his dead mom. <laughs> yeah, uh, his he gets in an argument with his psychosis. You know, the, this whole thing about, like, well, how how dare you lose your ear? <laughs> Whatever are you doing? <laughs> you're Just not like going to get a job without an ear. Yeah, you're not going to get it. You're not going to get a wife without an ear. Yeah, who's going to marry you with an ear missing, you weirdo? 
I'll get your ear back for you, son. <laughs> yeah, he has to become her. Although he has this whole weird argument with her. is like, shut up, mother. I'm going to put you in the cistern. And he does. Mm-hmm. He, he stuffs her body in the cistern. And that's where it will be forgotten forever. <clears throat> yep, yep. We're never going back there. But he sees this press conference where... Ogie is, you know, trumpeting, look at this, we got the fucking killer's ear. It's going to take no time to find this guy now. <laughs> so obviously he has to become his mother to go get it back. Of course, right. And then I'm unclear how much time passes, because the next thing that happens is Spiro and Sophia getting married. Yeah, uh, I kind of feel like they must have eloped, because this is happening while he's putting on the makeup. Yeah, it seems to happen very, very quickly. And obviously, uh, the stepmom really doesn't like it. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, they, they go home to his house, his teenager bedroom, mm. and they're like having loud, crazy sex right next to their parents or his yeah. parents. Yeah, his parents and like the, the mom, the stepmom is like, I don't like this. And it's kind of a weird thing where she's jealous. She's obviously <laughs> jealous. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's a whole strange thing. Uh, but obviously, during all the sex, Para shows up outside the window. <laughs> How he knew to be here. This is kind of the, the theoretical, maybe they really do have a psychic connection. This is how he was able to locate them. Maybe. Or maybe this has been going on for several months and they've been building up their relationship and he's been lurking the whole time. It could be. So, yeah, he starts strangling, sorry, Spiro starts strangling Sophia while they're having sex. Oh, yeah, because, like, she was going so hard and the narrator's like, he's running out of energy. Yeah, and he's also looking in Para's eyes while he does it. <laughs> this is so fucked up. And meanwhile, at home, Ogie has gone home to... Talk about the ear to the cat to George the cat and tell him, look, look at this. I found I, I got the killer's ear. Oh, I'm totally rehabilitated. No, I'm back on the case. They're not going to put me on psychological leave anymore. <laughs> and then the cat does what the cat does. Yeah, the cat comes and eats the ear because he takes it out of the evidence bag and hangs this like piece of meat dangling it over the cat. Dangling it like you would dangle keys for a dog or, or you know, bacon for a dog. Yeah, uh, so he goes after the cat, and everybody is a strangler all of a sudden. You know, he goes to strangle the cat while Spiro is strangling his wife, and Para is outside waiting to strangle Spiro. Yep. It's a strangling epidemic. <laughs> <laughs> like it's an infectious disease. Strangleception. And Not so Para's out, yeah, Para's dressed up as his mom. And he's looking for the ear, and he's at the window, and they're staring at each other uh, while he's doing the strangling. And then, weirdly, he just sort of disappears into the bushes when Spiro comes out to get rid of the body. Oh, yeah, he does this whole thing where he, like, takes the body of Sophia out the window. Mm-hmm. And that's when Para attacks him, while, when he's gone out the window. He's all, give me back my ear, give me back my no, ear. Give my son back his oh. ear, give me back my son's ear, because he's fully now his mother. Right, right, right. So that, yeah, they, they have a chase, they get to this abandoned church, I believe? It must be a deconsecrated so? church. Something like that, yeah. Because uh, Spiro tries to hang Para with the rope on the bell. 
Mm-hmm. And ultimately he does, but not before Para bites Spiro's ear off in exactly the same way. <laughs> yep. And then, yeah, he falls, he gets hanged. But in the moment Spiro's ear is torn off is when the ringing in his ears that he's always had, you know, that, that's sort of a thing that's been mentioned is he's always had this ringing in his ears, but it crystallizes into this perfect symphony at that moment. So he obviously becomes a very respected classical composer and folk hero because he took down the Strangler. (laughs) Yep. Uh, His dad dies of mysterious causes in bed. Who knows? Uh, And he, he of course, marries his stepmother. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So uh, it's back to the beginning of the movie and we see that it was him uh, as the conductor at the beginning, looking very much like Weird Al. Mm-hmm. And we, we pull out from the TV to see Ogie watching it in an institution that he, he has now uh, <laughs> been admitted to a mental institution. And the other patient next to him has sort of become his cat, George. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got a meowing patient who sits next to him and yeah. he's watching the TV. He's like, that's the strangler. I know it. I've known it all along. That guy's the strangler. And the other guy meows in agreement. (laughs) (laughs) So just really great final line and final image. Uh, the, The line by the narrator is some stranglers are born under a lucky star and some are not. (laughs) (laughs) Which kind of gets to the whole root of this movie being about how, uh, you know, it's it's the, the Serbian thing of, oh, well, Belgrade needs to be a metropolis. We need to be uh, like other places. We uh, Trying to be some sort of publicly perceived thing rather than anything driven by uh, what they actually need or is internal to any sort of purpose. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the final image tracking through Para's abandoned apartment, all full of cobwebs. You know, we, we see the mom and the cistern and everything. Yeah, uh, but, she's a skeleton at this point. Yeah, and final image, there's just this really cobwebby Jesus painting. Is the final image. <laughs> it's the end. What a fucking crazy movie. Holy shit. So wild. Like, a lot of surprises. It, it was not what I was expecting in various ways, but it was. Like, the comedy, the pure blank Eastern Bloc humor is exactly as I expected. Oh, man, I was laughing so hard at different points in this. It's very funny. Like, each of the the main characters are so goofball in in just the right sort of way, and they all look so bizarre. Like, each of them has such a distinct face. Yeah, like, even without the... The inspector would look pretty distinctive, even without his uh, Hitler mustache. Yeah, he he does have a very comic look to him. And of course, you know, Spiro with his weird Al curly perm uh, and his huge glasses and his, you know, roller skating outfit where he looks very new wave. (laughs) Uh, Oh, he's like, everyone's always telling him he's not normal. And he's all like, I'm normal. I'm normal. But he's wearing like these gold shiny pants in one scene. Oh, yeah. I think that's another time that he's roller skating around the, the, the gold pants. Uh, yeah, strange, strange thing. Apparently this was aired on Joe Bob's The Last Drive-In at one point oh. in like the early 90s and was a big hit. 
they they got letters from a mental institution saying how it was their favorite thing that had been aired in years or something. Wow. It's it's a weirdly progressive movie too. Like for the it for its time and I guess for its area. Mm, theoretically, yeah. I mean, certainly for uh, the Soviet Union as a whole, maybe not necessarily for Serbia, which seems to be kind of punk in, in, yeah, in a I lot guess, of ways. I guess I really don't know about Serbia. So Yeah. Th- so this is the third film by the director, Sheehan, who's kind of regarded as one of the most important Serbian directors. Like this film is very highly respected and very well known there, oh. if not super well known here. Yeah, uh, I can see it being really popular over there. Uh, I can also totally understand why it didn't gain traction here. It's a little, yeah, it's much more modern. It feels like something that would come out in the past 15 years here. Yeah, not like in the past 40. Mm-hmm. Whereas like there, it's big. Uh, the director, I think his first movie, uh, what's it called here again? Um Who's singing over there? There was a vote a little while back, and it was regarded as the best Serbian film as voted by Serbians. So he's extremely uh, highly regarded there. And I'm really interested in his other his first three movies. He has not made very many. Uh, This was his fourth. Uh, But there's that one who's singing over there, which is supposed to be really great. And it's another black comedy. I think all of his movies up to this point are black comedies. Right on. Uh, he's got one called The Marathon Family, which, again, is supposed to be about just this weird family with all the strange black comedy stuff there. Mm-hmm. And one with just the incredible name, uh, How My Life Was Systematically Destroyed by an Idiot, is his film before <laughs> Strangler vs. Strangler. Like, I gotta see that. <laughs> that is like, that, that, that's the perfect name for a movie. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really interested in seeing some more Slobodan Sheehan films. I hope some more uh, of those get released here, because I don't think any of those have uh, North American releases at this point in time. But I got to see them. Yeah, totally. I <laughs> definitely watch more work by this guy. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I don't think I mentioned I did mention last week. This is the Mondo Macabro disc. Uh, it's really good. Uh, very interesting essay included in the booklet. The commentary is great. There's an half hour long interview with Slobodan Sheehan that's very interesting cool uh so this is replaced in the stacks with Hotel Fear or Pensione Porra uh this is a giallo uh reportedly a very sleazy and weird giallo but pretty highly regarded is my understanding okay and it's about it's uh, a giallo set in World War II where there's this girl and her mother running a hotel during the war uh, and uh, the mom dies. And then it's just the daughter and all of these, you know, uh, sleazy, weird guests who are uh, sexually threatening. And then someone starts killing the guests off. Uh, Anyone who tries to uh, go after her gets uh, killed suddenly. So who could be doing it? I don't know. Probably not her, unless it's her, but she's also, like, possessed by a ghost. Yeah, or maybe it's, like, Hera thing, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, um, hmm. I mean, it's Giallo, so it could also just be, like, God. It could be anyone, you know, it'll be someone with black gloves who's probably uh, knifing people. Let's see what you do. Oh, for sure. Uh, But yeah, sounds fun. That's another one from Mondo Macabro that I've been meaning to get to. So. Any last thoughts before we move on to part two? 
Hell yeah. All right, on to part two. And we are back for part two, where we're talking about Stone Cold by uh, 1991 film directed by Craig R. Baxley. Woo, what a weird movie, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So just to clarify, this movie has nothing at all to do with Stone Cold Steve Austin, the popular uh, WWE wrestler from the late 90s, early 2000s. I like to do with it. I like to believe that he named himself after this movie. That this movie was so cool that he's like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna use that movie for my wrestling name. <laughs> That's my new head cannon. Yeah, because I mean, I'm pretty sure he made his debut well after this because he's like a late '90s rapper or oh, rapper. Yeah. My God, uh, late '90s WWF guy because. I was watching wrestling circa 91, and he he was not a part of it then. No, I think he showed up in, well, it was like, yeah, the late 90s, early 2000s was when he was at his prime. Yeah, because like, I'm looking at his Wikipedia page right now, and apparently he started wrestling in 89, uh, but I feel like he, oh, yeah, it's 1999, I guess. No, hmm. WCW at the time of 91, where he was only stunning Steve Austin. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And so Stone Cold, uh, he was repackaged as Stone Cold in WWF. Uh, I don't know when. I can't seem to get a clear answer on it on this page. Oh, here we go. 95. So it's four years later. He may have. He could have. He could have. Uh, It's... Definitely uh, the kind of movie that would appeal to uh, a WWE fan. Oh, yeah. And uh, I believe both uh, both Stone Cold and our uh, our boss, the boss, they both got their starts in football, I believe. I think they were both college football guys. Uh, well, I don't know about Stone Cold, but uh, our star here, Brian Bosworth, was a linebacker. He uh, was a linebacker. Not for very long. Yeah, I I don't have any info for who he played for or anything like that. Uh, he's Seahawks. He was a Seattle Seahawks guy. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, and and the thing is, he 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 was a big media personality. He he was like a really big personality in interviews, and that's sort of what made him a huge star. But then, oh, interesting. But then, like you know, he he played a few years and then he had a shoulder injury which just took him out of the sport completely so he did not have much of a professional football career oh and uh judging by this movie i don't think his uh film career really uh took off either it's a drag though because this fucking slaps you know if he was making a bunch of movies like this i'm into it he's yeah he's trying to be kind of cool 90s arnold but sort of like mixed with M- not eminem oh my god uh <laughs> vanilla ice or billy idol or someone like that yeah it's a very specific 1991 flavor because it's really 80s actiony but the look is pure 1991 uh so craig r baxley the director he was a stunt guy like he's mainly a stunt coordinator dude oh okay Oh, uh, that makes sense. Like, he's the guy who did the stunts for Predator, for instance. Oh. So pretty rad. Uh, and, I like, I haven't seen a, all of his movies, but 
his movies are stunt forward and they tend to strip out most of the other stuff. It's like, we, we don't need any of that character bullshit. <laughs> uh, I know one well, of the other ones I've seen is Action Jackson. I believe you've seen that, right? I, yeah, we, we watched that together. Yeah, uh, with Carl Weathers as mm-hmm. Action Jackson. That's a great movie. Uh, it has a part where I believe he drives a Lamborghini up a staircase. Great. <laughs> I believe that's his previous film. You got Stu going. Hell yeah. (laughs) So I do feel like probably Craig R. Baxley is a fairly large part of why this movie rules, but I I don't want to sell out the boss. He's very amusing in this. He's not a good character. (laughs) He's, He's not a good actor or character, but he's still fun to watch. He's perfectly cast in a weird sort of way. He is just the right slab. Uh, <laughs> and and like he's a good foil for Lance Henriksen and William Forsyth as our main two baddies who are both so good. William They're... Forsyth, who, of course, we've talked about previously in Patty Hearst, where he was Tico, is another great role for William I, Forsyth. I want to be fucking black. Whereas here, he's a white supremacist, of course, because that's a Nazi biker gang. Yeah, but somehow very much the same character otherwise. Yeah, similar style. Similar, uh, we have to solve everything with violence all the time. Yeah, he's a little greasier looking here. <laughs> a little. A couple years later, and he's he's not looking better for wear. <laughs> yeah, so we start out in... You know, we got to introduce our hero. So we have these uh, three idiots robbing a grocery store. It's very much like the beginning of Cobra. Uh, you know, the, the Sylvester Stallone one. Have you ever seen that? Oh, I think I did. At the beginning, there's just a robbery at a convenience store and he comes in and he blows them all away. This is kind of like that, but, you know, at a much lower level. Kind of reminds me of the, the opening of Ninja Turtles <clears throat> 2 as well. I can see that. Yeah, where they're robbing a department store, and they're these, like, ridiculous cartoon villains. Well, yeah, these are ridiculous cartoon villains. These guys are the Dreadnoughts. Just full on. <laughs> they are the Dreadnoughts from G.I. Joe. Um, I'm not super familiar with G.I. Joe, but, yeah, these guys are... These guys just exist to cause a new problem every week. Yeah, and they're bizarre. Like, they're... Their plot is so far-reaching, and it's crazy that it happens that, like, you know, spoilers, uh, our hero doesn't manage to save anyone or stop anything from happening at any point. He literally does not save a single life and arguably causes a lot of people to die who wouldn't have otherwise. Like, arguably, the only thing he does that's kind of heroic is I think he saves someone in this opening scene. Oh yeah, he saves the host. He saves all the hostages at the grocery store. Yeah, from these three psychos. Yeah, and these guys are just like, <laughs> I, I really like the bit where the guy comes in and he's just like machine gunning all the Ritz crackers <laughs> and he's cackling like a maniac. It's a great way to start the movie. It's like, okay, I already know what kind of uh, tempo we're in. It's just like, okay, this guy is maniacally laughing while he's shooting the cracker aisle. Great. I'm into it. Uh, and Brian Bosworth. Um, the boss. Huff. Joe Huff. Or John Stone. Or is it John Huff? I believe I'm it's Joe his... Huff and John Stone. Yeah. He comes in with like this the most 1991 trench coat ever. 
Oh, just the the big broad shoulders on it. Yeah, he looks very silly. <laughs> he doesn't have the right physique to pull off this edge lord trench coat, but he's trying his best. Yeah, he's a huge guy. It, it just it doesn't make sense for him to be wearing that sort of clothing. Uh, he he's like a giant mountain man. Yeah, he he looks bizarre with uh. The, the Vanilla Ice look, like like I mentioned, he does look a lot like Vanilla Ice looks on the Cool as Ice poster, just not quite as stupid 90s. It's like slightly more believable for a giant guy. Mm-hmm. Actually, the, the poster for this looks a lot like Terminator. Yeah, he's kind of doing an Arnold thing, although it's so much more elaborate. It's so much shinier. True. But he <laughs> does those a, fucking terrible earrings. He does have a glowing red eye in the poster, which does not happen anywhere in the movie. Oh, that's not the poster. That's just the box art for the disc. Oh. We're we're watching the uh the Olive Films release of this, which I think is the only available one. Uh I'll I'll drop the actual poster in the uh chat for you because <laughs> it, it looks completely different. Okay, okay. Uh, um if I can, here I'll just send a link to an image of it. Uh, but yeah, it it is uh, silly. Uh, he he's just it's uh, him in the middle of the poster and with his multicolored mullet, the bleach blonde on the top, his dangly earring, and him just kind of doing a, a blue steel like over the shoulder blue steel. Right on. Um, yeah, it hasn't come up yet, but I'll take your oh, word for it. Uh, so he ends up thwarting these thugs by home aloneing them with some dish soap in the aisle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although it's weird, he seems to just actually be there shopping. He's just like having a cookie, right? Yeah, he's just having a cookie. I thought he was just coming in because he heard about the robbery, but no, I I think he's just here to do his shopping, and you know, trouble finds him. Well, trouble finds him. Uh, also. I truly don't believe that he went here to deal with them because he doesn't seem to be a guy who does stuff if he doesn't have to. Uh, <laughs> like like you were saying way back on some other episode, I, I feel like every other sentence is like, join my anti-work. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to do this job. You guys <laughs> can't make me do this job. And he never <laughs> does the job. Ultimately, he was right. They couldn't make him do the job. Well, he did some <laughs> stuff, but he just ended up making everything worse by introducing a drug deal into the whole thing. Oh, he made it so much more complicated, and he just solved nothing. It's crazy it, it, how many it, people get killed at the end. <laughs> okay, yeah, big spoiler alert. The entire government of Mississippi is dead at the end of this movie. The uh, the the entire Supreme Court, they, they got gunned down. <laughs> yeah, it's January um, 6th, but successful. They stormed the Capitol with helicopters and motorbikes. Like, it's the dreadnoughts do January 6th. It's fucking crazy. But on the state level, though. Yeah, just the state level, not federal. But, you know, Mississippi, at the end of this movie, does not have a government anymore. No, there's so many people dying. Like, the the guy that they assassinate, who, it's the thing that they're supposed to be doing the whole movie. That, uh, in the write-up on Wikipedia, I find it very funny. It's They say that centers on a biker gang that tries to assassinate the district attorney. They don't try, they do it. They do it. <laughs> they kill him. He dies. Everyone dies. Nobody, nobody makes it out alive except for uh, Brian Bosworth and his like couple of cop buddies. His his lame partner, who's a germaphobe. 
and almost he 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 stops the police from shooting Lance Henriksen. But we're getting ahead of things. But yeah, he's like, oh, but you can't shoot him. Hey, yeah, right. I've, I've arrested him. Yeah. Uh, but the like the the district attorney, he's also running for governor, and I think he's the front runner. So, like they've oh, really yeah. fucking struck oh, yeah. a blow. Yeah. He, well, he's it's Mississippi, and he's the tough on crime candidate. He's he's yeah. the front runner. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, we learned that he's a cop, but he's been suspended for insubordination, so he, he really didn't come here to deal with the, these thugs, because he's no. not even supposed to be doing He's not even this. supposed to be here today. <laughs> <laughs> uh, totally. Join my and, anti-work. <laughs> and he just hands, like, the, the robber shotgun to the other cop and just walks away. Like, yeah. doesn't doesn't file any paperwork or nothing he doesn't have to do that he's not on the job this isn't no. his job yeah and uh, like the guy who's taking over the scene is like oh i knew it had to be you <laughs> you're a loose cannon uh, you're a loose cannon like huh? yeah, he is a loose cannon oh he's a very loose cannon actually but now we get uh introduced to our bad guys the brotherhood the Brotherhood. This really feels like a, an extended version of that tough guy scene from one of those 80s ninja movies. I want to say Enter the Ninja or New York Ninja. I, I mean, I could totally see it in Enter the Ninja or New York Ninja or even Miami Connection. It, it's It's got that kind of vibe uh, and it's so escalated immediately. It, it feels like what, uh, well, one character, Ice, who's played by... Uh, Forsyth! By Tico. Yeah. He feels like what Mac from It's Always Sunny would imagine himself as a badass biker being. And notably, Mac's dad is also in this movie. No shit. He's he's the guy in the helicopter at the end. He's the guy who gets the helicopter, the oh, dude with military connections. He's AWOL? Yeah, he's AWOL. No kidding. That's, oh, uh, that's Mac's now. dad. Yeah, totally. I see it now, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, he would have been so much younger. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, this is 91. Uh, That's but, hilarious. But, uh, yeah, so it starts with Tico. They're they're doing this game of shooting things off people's heads. Yeah, yeah, they're like William Tell with beer cans and automatic weapons. Like Uzis. Yeah, Uzis. One guy has to duck and the car behind him explodes. Everything in this movie is made out of explodium. Oh, yeah, you got to blow stuff up. It's so much more fun. Uh, My understanding is Baxley came into this movie some point into the shoot. Like, they'd already done a bunch of the movie, and he just threw all the character stuff out that had already been shot. And was like, no, I don't care. There's a whole bunch of stuff (laughs) with uh, Stone Cold and his family. Or not Stone Cold. He's Stone or Huff, yeah, or whatever. Whatever. Claws, the guy. The claws. There's yeah. a whole thing with him having a family and other characters that he had relationships with. Gone. We don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. He has, like, a wife or girlfriend or something, or a one-night stand. I'm not sure. Doesn't come up again. It doesn't matter. Well, no, it doesn't come up again because he's immediately making out with the uh, the other girl who he completely uh, is all like, hey, make sure you stay in danger so that you can uh, help me get the evidence I need. It's weird. Her like the whole situation with her is bizarre at every point. But th- there's a few different things that we need to get to with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, her character makes no sense. 
Well, she makes a a bit of sense. It's just uh, his relationship with her is very strange. It is. It really is. And not healthy for anybody. Well, any relationship that he has with anyone is not healthy for them, except arguably the germaphobe guy. Yeah, well, yeah, that's true. That's true. (laughs) Nobody Nobody gets out of this okay. Uh, so, yeah, let's meet our bikers because some of these guys are going to be important. Especially uh, Ice. Ice, yeah, uh, who we mentioned, uh, what is it, William Forsyth? William Forsyth, he's totally great. Mm-hmm. He is, the, of course, the gang member who's going to suspect our hero when he goes undercover. Every mm-hmm. gang has one, yeah. and that person is never listened to. Right. Uh, and, yeah, he is the suspicious guy. He... Uh, is also just the worst guy. Like, he, he's such a dickhole to everyone all the time. Oh, yeah, and he's always trying to pick a fight with anyone. Yeah, like, he, he isn't just uh, fighting people outside the gang. Like, he's doing completely insane shit at every moment in the gang. Like, he's the one who blows up the car and is shooting uh, uh, shooting cans off someone's head with an Uzi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so he's, of course, the right-hand man to Chains, James. I love Lance Henriksen so much. He's so greasy in this movie. I, it's it's one of the greasiest Lance Henriksen performances I've seen. It's pretty amazing. He, when he's in his full biker thing, I'm like, oh my god, yeah, I can see this. He kind of disappears into the role. Like it's it's hard to recognize him necessarily as Lance Henriksen when he's all greasy as a biker and he's got those silly little glasses and stuff. <laughs> when he's a priest much later on when when he's cosplaying as a priest, it's like, "Oh, that is clearly Lance Henriksen." But prior to that, it's like, eh, "I don't know." I think he was cast just for the priest's look so that he yeah. could be like in the 90s get Get ahead of John Wu with the priest with automatic weapons thing. I don't know. I mean, Lance Henriksen, he's uh, he, he has done some classic greasy guy performances before this. I, I think he was very similar to this character in Piranha 2, which I watched a little while back. <laughs> right. Those movies. Oh, shit. Yeah. I didn't and know he was in that. He's like the main guy in Piranha oh. 2. Yeah. Yeah, so he's he's the leader, and he's just fucking crazy. They're all um, crazy. They are a supervillain organization rather than a white supremacist biker gang. Oh, yeah. There's only one guy who's just a normal white supremacist. Well, and he's weird because he also doesn't seem to be into the hate element of it or the violence. <laughs> uh, yeah. Gut. Um, gut. Yeah, he's the... <laughs> The sympathetic Nazi. Well, yeah, it's weird because there's the scenes with him where he's just really welcoming and it it seems to be a thing where he really likes the community, but there's never any reference to white supremacy in anything they do, which is really weird. Yeah, and they're shooting, uh, like, their their target is a Republican, uh, well, a Republican lawmaker. It's like, guys, you're Nazis. Don't you know you're on the same side? Well, this is 91 it's not oh, quite yeah. there yet but it, it is strange that well like they're, they're going after him because their guy gets arrested early on in this one of their yeah. dudes is in jail and they want him freed yeah trouble wilson or something like that. <laughs> trouble wilson uh because th- there's that bit where he kills the priest 
Oh, yeah, he's, like, blasts about through the stained glass window. Fucking incredible. God knows why. No, I don't know. It's just, like, we, we just see the priest go through the window. It's like, that rules. What the shit? <laughs> yeah. We never find out why this happened. Because everything that they're doing after this is a result of this incident. But we don't know why this incident took place. Yeah, it's the inciting incident for everyone, but it's just like, meh. I mean, we don't need to know what happened. We just need to know that the priest went through a window and it looked fucking red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we've got this... Uh, so he was sentenced to 45 years, but now the new tough-on-crime candidate is like, I think that was too lenient. I think we should get the death penalty. I'm the whip. The whip. Whip Whipperton. Uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, the DA who's also running for governor. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's their thing. They're going to crack the whip. Everybody's talking gonna about how they're going to crack, gonna, the, whip. crack they're, the whip. Well, first, the, yeah, the... There's this montage of them killing everybody who's involved in the original sentencing, and yes. then they're going to kill this guy, and that's like the big plan of the whole movie is killing this government guy. But there's all this stuff about drug deals in the middle, and Bosworth just doing dick all. Well, the drug stuff was never part of Chain's plan. Bosworth brought that in from outside with him. Yeah, because he wanted to take down the mafia. And it's like, why did you bring all of this? You, you could have stopped all of this. You could have... <laughs> made the it's it's so crazy how much of it like he epically gets it so wrong that he causes all of like the ending happens because of him yep <laughs> he there's even a point where like the cops are like okay you did a really good job we have all the evidence we need to put these guys away no i introduced drugs into the situation now so we can get the mob too yeah, he's like, well, we definitely have enough to take down this chains guy. I, like, he's really bad news, and there's bad stuff going down. He's like, no, you can't. We need to, we we need to make it really stick. We'll have to get all these guys. I've I've you know entrapped them into this whole other thing. It's like, why did you do that? Why? <laughs> he <laughs> he's like a loose cannon, but he's pointed in the wrong direction. Yeah, I don't get what he's trying to do. Like, he's he, he, like, again, it's it very much does seem like we, we haven't gotten to it yet where he is pressured into going undercover, but <laughs> he doesn't want to do it. And no, that's his whole thing. The whole movie's like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> well, yeah, the, the FBI contacting him is actually what happens next. Right. Uh, and cause, yeah, because he's on suspension. Yeah, he's on suspension. And it's like, hey. We need you for one last job. You've got most more biker-related arrests than anybody else. So we need you to come back from suspension. And he's just like... He's like, nah, I'll just wait out my suspension, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's three weeks suspension. This is <laughs> Who cares? not in any way worth it. Yeah, and he's right. To be fair, he's completely oh, right. Oh, God, yes. It's the only but, time he's right in the entire film. But then they're like... Oh, well, yeah, he's about to be wrong right away because yeah. the FBI guy's like, your three-week suspension just turned into six months. And he's like, that's blackmail. And you're like, it's well. blackmail. It's like extortion or something. Come on, you're a cop. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's not the brightest cop, as you may have realized. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the guy's like, well, six months, dude. Like, oh, this is bullshit. I, I don't want to do this job. Yeah, yeah, no, and he'll carry that I-don't-want-to attitude through the whole the whole movie. Oh, completely, and what 
it, it was very baffling to me watching this when he's supposed to be getting infiltrated into the gang. Like he, he is sent to go meet up with them and become part of the gang. And he doesn't want to. So like he keeps <laughs> interacting with them. He's like, I don't want to be a part of this gang. Fuck you guys. I think you guys all suck. You're a bunch of jerks. And they just ultimately still like, well, we got to get this guy in the gang, obviously. <laughs> it's what has to happen for the story to advance, but he's, he's not playing doing hard to get. It. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, hey, man, don't let him into the gang. He's bad news. Shut up. Guy who knows things. <laughs> Shut up, Ice. You didn't become my right hand man by knowing things or being good at anything. You became my right hand man because you're absolutely fucking insane and the most vile person in the, it's a wild in the gang. Card. Yeah, he's a wild card. He's number two wild card. Uh, it's kind of a whole gang full of wild cards, really. It is. Well, I mean, tipped off by the Uzis and exploding cars open. Yeah, yeah, that's the opening. Yeah, that's the first time we meet them. It's like, okay, these people are all completely insane. Which, again, it's like Cobra, where you have, like, the Axe Gang in, like, downtown L.A. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so Bosworth's got to do this one last job or whatever it is. He really doesn't want to. And and his partner, so this scene where his partner barges in uh, to his apartment at 6.02 in the morning, I interpreted Unobnoxious. this as... <laughs> oh, yeah. At Lance. first I thought this... Yeah. At first I thought Lance was like, Doing the whole, yeah, I'm the FBI guy, and you got to do things my way, sh like, and I own you, shtick. Like, yeah, I can come into your house at 6.02. No, he's just that awkward. He's just really fussy. He's he's a weird character. It seems like he's supposed to be a main character, and maybe in the original version of this movie, he was a major character, but he doesn't have a lot to do through most of this. He does exactly one thing, and he shows up in, like, two scenes that he doesn't need to be there for. Yeah, and he doesn't do anything in them, like, because he's just totally useless. He's sort of supposed to be a joke. I guess his main function in the movie is making Joe Huff slash John Stone seem like he's sort of good at what he's doing. Because this guy's, like, not only bad at what he's doing, he also really sticks out and is obviously a cop. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, he goes with, uh, later on, he goes to infiltrate the biker bar, and it's totally a how-do-you-do-fellow-bikers moment. Oh, he looks so stupid. Like, he, he looks like he's doing the Steve Buscemi uh, fellow kids meme. Yeah, and it's weird, because they all look bizarre. Like, everyone has, like, these are not... I mean, maybe some of the actual Brotherhood bikers look like real bikers, but Bosworth does not look like a real biker. He looks absurd. He looks like a surfer dude. Yeah, he looks... Hmm, he, he He's very 90s. Like, it is so specific to that point in time, but he looks like a music video version of a bodybuilder background dancer. You know? He, oh. he does not look like he is a biker. He does not look like he is in any sort of serious thing. He kind of... He, I got a Baywatch vibe from him. Yeah, I could totally see Baywatch. He would look right on Muscle Beach. Yeah, don't hassle the Huff. Yeah. Well, you can hassle the Huff a little bit. That's the only way he gets anything done. 
Uh, does he get anything done? Well, it's the only way you get him to move, at least. No, he does not get anything done. No, he doesn't. He does nothing. Yeah, um, yeah, so right away they, they go to infiltrate the bad guy biker bar. And Lance has got his shitty biker outfit on. He's like, I'm going with you to face my fears. And Huff's like, dude, no, just don't do anything. He, like, rips the sleeves off his jacket, turns his hat backwards. He's like, all right. Yeah, he gives him a makeover. Just a quick biker makeover. Uh, It's it's amazing how easily the sleeves come off it. It's like it was designed for that. Yeah. But, no, it's supposed to be because he's really, really strong. He's probably a really strong dude, Bosworth. He's a big fucking guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean... The fist height fight between him and Lance Henriksen at the end is so one-sided. Oh, it's ridiculous. I mean, Lance Henriksen, he looks like a tough, wiry dude, but he also is like 50 in this, and he's fighting a a linebacker. Yeah, it's like getting Arnold Schwarzenegger to fight, I don't know, Woody Allen. That's, That's a little bit of an exaggeration. It's like getting Arnold Schwarzenegger to fight, like... Maybe a Steven Seagal. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. okay. <laughs> Steven Seagal in really, you know, his peak era would be uh, probably along the same lines. A fake action hero. Mm. Whereas, like, Arnold, you know, he's he's a fucking mountain. Uh, just yeah. like Joe Huff. He's a mountain. He's just not all that capable of fighting because, you know, he's sculpted for m- something much more specific. He's a linebacker. He's a yeah, football guy. To, like, run into people, not... Well, I, I don't know what linebackers do, but I think it's to run into people. It's part of it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the fir- he immediately picks a fight with Ice. Yeah. Well, Ice is obviously the guy who is the, the biggest loose cannon. You, you got to have loose cannons against each other. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. He immediately picks a fight with Ice, which turns into a bar wide brawl when some rednecks trying to take some money from one of the girls in the bar. Well, and, you know, it's it's a biker thing. So, you know, if one guy is in a fight, everybody's in a fight. Yeah, so, you know, Joe Huff proves himself by, you know, helping Ice, who didn't need your help, man. Well, yeah, and also he's just, you know, another huge guy, and they recognize, hey, this is a huge guy who can fight people. We need yeah. huge guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, Gut recognizes right away that, this, that they need this guy from the gang, and Gut's such a weirdly sweet guy. He just... <laughs> Gut really wants a friend. Gut is just looking for any kind of community. That's gotta be it. That's... Yeah, that, that's totally what it seems like to me. He is so astonished with the violence of the gang later. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, how long have you been with this gang? He seems to be in the inner circle, and I cannot imagine how. Yeah. Yeah, he's like a top five guy in this gang. Somehow. And yet, shocked by the violence. Somehow. Uh, but yeah, he, he totally takes to Joe right away. Yeah, he, uh, he's right on his he's on his side. He gets him. Uh, this guy's also... Uh, it does seem like he's like, oh yeah, this guy seems to be a good guy. I could use a good guy in the gang with me. Oh, that too. That too. Uh, it's arguable how good Joe Huff is. It's arguable but... how good anyone is. All of these people seem to be crazy assholes. They're all bad. Oh, yeah. yeah it's a Nazi but... biker gang. <laughs> uh, well, yes, they, they are Nazis there. Let's let's not forget. They, they have 
they even have the swastika flags. They have the swastikas. Just stop at the, at the Confederate flag. Yeah, no, they're they're a full on Nazi gang. They're they're like yeah. they are specifically a white supremacist biker gang. They are the Brotherhood, and that's like what he is told to infiltrate right from the beginning. It's yeah. just weird that it never comes up from that point forward. It doesn't like them. It's it's their aesthetic, but nobody ever says anything racist at any point. It's very <laughs> weird. Yeah, and their targets like. They're not. I think Gut just wanted to firebomb an abortion clinic. Like who knows? Or Nazi. Yeah, I don't know what Gut's deal is. I mean, Gut seems to just want someone to drink with more than anything else. Yeah, because um, he he just seems to have like hanger on personality. Yeah, and uh, you know when they kill people, it's like this isn't the Brotherhood I joined. <laughs> it's like really? I mean, you joined. A white supremacist biker gang. What did you think this was about, dude? If it wasn't about violence. This is well, about community, the, man. <laughs> well, according to Gut and the girl that we meet later, they really weren't always like this, but like some switch right. got flipped and it's never explained how or why. Like what turned them into this? We don't know. Yeah, I, I guess that's another part of just missing backstory. But yeah, the girl too, because... Her, her her whole path is also very strange because she has an out at some point and he tells yeah. her early on, like relatively early on, that he is a cop. But I don't know if she realizes he's telling her or if she just chooses not to believe it or what. Well, he tells her, but he tells her in a way that's like, yeah, I'm a cop, okay? Like, right. like you know. I, I like I agree that that's maybe how the scene was written, but the way he said is like, yeah, I'm a cop, okay. I I think <laughs> I think Bosworth is playing it. He's telling her, even though the scene may not necessarily be uh, intending that to be the case, and also she just kind of overlooks it. <laughs> well, she finds out later and freaks out. When yeah, he has very clearly told her, and he kind of does. Like, he doesn't lie to her at this point. He's like, yeah, I'm a cop, and this is what we're doing. And she's like, fine. And, like, she's assuming it's a joke, but he's not saying it is a joke, and I don't feel like he's really all that capable of joking. No, this this man doesn't do jokes. So, yeah, I don't know where she's coming from on that. But also, she does, like, when she does find out, she's like, well, I hate cops. I I would never side with a cop over the Brotherhood. <laughs> Maybe I don't feel so bad when she gets killed. Spoilers, but not really spoilers, because he just fails to save anybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, but he keeps throwing her specifically into harm's way. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, she's a Nazi chick. Sorry, bitch. Well, yeah. <laughs> Yes, okay, yes, true, true. I keep forgetting, because like you say, they don't do any Nazi shit. It never comes up. No. It's just their aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, so so he takes Gut up on his uh, invitation to go to the biker rally, where, you know, he's got to prove himself by fighting the biggest guy there. Of course, you know, they're they're just in a hollowed out section of ground yeah like a like a quarry or something it's hard to say it doesn't ultimately matter no you know it's just two huge guys fighting 
Yeah, yeah, huge guys fighting. Uh, Bosworth eventually beats him. Mm-hmm. It's another one of those things like our uh, our, our guys in a Boxer from Shantung where you have the huge guy and you see him take out a couple people really easily before they send the boss in. Oh, yeah, it's exactly that scene. Yeah, you, you establish the huge guy's strength and then you send in another huge guy. I guess yeah. it's not quite the same because you're you're not like sending someone who's like capable as a fighter. You're just sending another guy who's as big. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a little different. But yeah, of course, of course, he beats the guy. So <laughs> Chains is in his van when he gets back. And rather than be like, hey, I'm going to use this to join the gang. He's like, hey, fuck you guys. Get out of my van. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Get lost. Right, he is in. He is directly in. He's like, I don't want to do this job. I, I, I don't want to join your gang. Like, guy, this is your job right now. <laughs> like, James is like, dude, just join our fucking gang. Do we have to pay you? Yeah, it's like, hey, I, I like you so much. Here's my wife. You can have sex with her. I'm going to leave her in your van, and I'm just going to take off. And meanwhile, she's just like, hold on, what? Yeah, or his old lady, you know, the, the biker lady, thing. Yeah. yeah. And and which is why, you know, she's never going to talk to the cops. She's a biker's old lady. That's status. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he's all like, I don't think a pretty girl is something you should just pass around. <laughs> you know, so woke, Stone. Uh, which, again, it's the only thing he, he does in that regard. He, just, he, he does not care about her in any way, but it seems like he's kind of trying to butter her up. It never works. No, no, it never works. And he, I don't think he even has that plan at this point, but later on he's trying to make her testify as a witness to the gang, and at no point does she agree or look like she's going to agree. No, she's not interested. Yeah. She's into being the biker's... Uh, uh, main chick that's that's what she does yeah and uh seems to be a pretty good gig for her until around now well yeah I, I having him in the gang is a big problem and it does get her killed yes it it, it very if he didn't infiltrate the gang i don't think she would have died from anything no, there's absolutely no reason to her uh, for her to have, because uh, it, it is specifically his infiltration of the gang that gets her killed. Yeah, yeah. And then, like, when he gets out of the van, uh, I just, I love this exchange between him and Chains. Chains is just like, yeah, man, we're going to get in each other's heads. That's what's going to happen. And Bosworth's just like, well, you might uh, not like what you find. And I'm just thinking. You're just going to find gonna... a whole bunch of room. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, I'm just imagining Lance Henriksen mind-melding with uh, Bosworth, and it's like Spock floating through V'ger's mind, but he just sees empty space. Yeah, it's it's the Matrix space where all the weapons are. You just see a <laughs> bunch of guns and football. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> definitely a football. Definitely a football. Uh, it, it, it's so strange because... He it seems like at every point he's trying to tell him, like, look, I'm a cop. You don't want me to get in the gang. It's like he's trying to get out of this any way he can. <laughs> it does feel like that. <laughs> I don't want to join your gang. It's like, I think you want to join my gang. It's like, well, listen, what if I imply that me being in the gang would be really bad for you and would probably not be something you would want? And if you found out my secrets, you'd be very upset. It's like, 
I'm pretty sure I'm gonna need you in this gang. Like, fuck, I'm gonna have to do this job. <laughs> with this guy in the gang, boss. I don't trust this guy. Shut up. You you probably say this about every single person, so we don't listen to you anymore. I mean, he does seem like someone who hates absolutely everyone. <laughs> Except for Chains. He loves Chains. Yeah, I mean, Chains is his boss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, he just he keeps getting these invitations to the gang that he's supposed to infiltrate, and he keeps being like, no. I'm yeah, just no. Gonna keep... I hate you guys. I don't want to be part of any gang. I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep showing up in your shit and yeah. trying to impress you anyway. Yeah. So they do a little negotiation, and it's like, what's in it for me? Colors, man, the status, the brotherhood. That's what's in it for you. And he's just like, why would I care? I'm in. <laughs> yeah, why would I care? But I'm in anyway because it's my job. He's like, fine, I have to do this job. I'll do it, but I'm not going to do it well. <laughs> no, he isn't. Uh, his first mission is to find and kill. I didn't catch this guy's name, but he's like some greaseball. Who was um, dealing Martinez. In... I believe it's Martinez. Okay. Yeah, he's dealing in Chains' territory. So Chains is like, yeah, get his ear and his earring. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> the guy has a very distinctive tattoo of a spider web inside his ear. And uh, yeah, this is the... Uh, so we did a themed podcast again. It's the ear removal theme. Right. Got, got people getting ears cut off. Although this guy's ear doesn't actually get cut off. They cut it off a corpse and they just tattoo it to look like yeah. his ear. Yeah, so so what they do, um, he goes like he's going to kill this guy, yeah. but he just gets his cop friends to, like, grab him, take him to a safe spot. Take, take him to a black site. Yeah. Yeah, and then fly him off to Abu Dhabi or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's deported because he is actually here on an illegal visa or something and they're like oh, okay. you're lucky that we're only doing this i think they fly him back to south america or venezuela or something not sure something like that but he yeah. will come back <laughs> later obviously because what a stupid <laughs> thing to do why don't they just keep him in custody while they are doing this operation <laughs> it's not even it's supposed so... to be that long of an operation no <laughs> and, and... He's like, yeah, he doesn't understand how lucky he is because he doesn't seem to realize that Bosworth's actual stated job from Chains was to kill him. So, no, like, and it's it's so stupid. Go because, to Chains. Well, not only that, even if he did know it, it's like, OK, that's that's kind of fucked up. But I can get back in his good graces by saying this guy is with the police. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not oh, well man. thought out. No, no. And, uh, yeah, so he gets he gets the ear back, uh, gives it to Chains with the earring. And <laughs> Chains is like, gives the ear and the earring to Nancy, uh, the old lady, the girl, mm -hmm. the, the love interest or whatever she's supposed like, to be. Uh. <laughs> yeah, she's, like, understandably grossed out. Why would I want this? And it's like, you, this isn't the first time Chains has given you a, a human being's uh, extremity, I'm sure. Probably not. Well, I don't know. It's it, like it is a question of how long this sort of thing has been escalating. Like like you said, that apparently at some point just the gang took a weird turn. Uh, <laughs> but it's unclear because uh, none really of that unclear. is in the movie. No. Um, yeah. So he's impressed with uh, 
He's impressed with Stone, but he decides to do a background check. Uh, so so uh, Chains gets in touch with uh, this police girl he knows who's secretly in the gang. It's like, yeah, do a background check on this guy. Uh, this isn't going to come back until much, much later. But No, and it, t- it takes a really long time to come back to him specifically because it comes back to uh, the girl first. Like, she's the one who <laughs> ultimately receives the call, and she's like, what? Yeah, yeah. And the police girl's like, okay, well, you're not the criminal who I'm working for, but I'll tell you this information anyway. Well, you're his old lady. He's probably got that locked down. Oh, good point, good point. Yeah, so so Bosworth's first job after proving himself like as an actual part of the gang, collection money. You get your collection money. You got it. You got it. You got it. And I love the argument with uh, the guy Tool. Tool. Man. Good name. Yeah. Good. Name. Good. Just really basic biker names for everybody in this movie. Just the most obvious. You got chains. You got ice. You got stone. You got tool. You got gut. You got six pack. <laughs> six you got... pack. Oh, the whip. Oh, wait, no, no, <laughs> that guy's running for for Congress. Yeah. <laughs> Governor. He got like something like sewer rat or some kind of a rat. Yeah, there's probably a sewer rat in there. I get the G.I. Joe names. Dreadnought. Yeah. Yeah. Cobra Commander. Chain Commander. Chains is very Cobra Commander-esque. I, I do feel like he is at any time going to be calling him in for a fucking turkey dinner. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but but Tool's girl is like pissed off about how she how Tool collected from the brothel, and and he's just like, "What's wrong, baby?" And she's just like, "You know, they work really hard, and they're okay." <laughs> Very strange. Very strange. But Tool doesn't get to reflect on this because he gets grenaded by the mafia. Hell yeah! <laughs> A lot of explosions in this movie, especially at the end. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they try. The mafia tries to kidnap Nancy, but they only get her purse, and Bosworth jumps on the mafia's car. They've got to do, like, this whole chase thing. Right, I forgot about all this mafia stuff, because it comes to nothing. No, the mafia... I'll tell you how the mafia stuff ends. They crash their truck into a gas tank and everybody dies. Or a gas station, rather. Yeah, and it's so strange, because it's this whole extra bullshit that he brought into it that really just muddies the waters and it has no purpose whatsoever well the purpose was to catch the mafia guys in the arrest with the bikers but he just kills all the mafia guys and it's so complicated why what was the point like you could have had the biker guys before they killed everyone yeah you could have prevented the you could have prevented an insurrection you could have prevented like probably the most In this universe, it would have to be the most devastating political attack of all time. Like, this is pre-9-11. This is a good uh, decade before, so it's just an insane thing. Yeah, Oklahoma hadn't happened. Even the first World Trade Center bombing hadn't happened. Yeah, I guess not. I feel like that's a couple years later. And yeah, this is like uh, a huge act of terrorism. Yeah. Gigantic domestic terrorist act. Yeah, if this had happened in the real world, I don't think the Nazis would have the power that they do. No, probably well, not. Well, maybe. maybe. Uh, but, you know, Chains would be, uh, Chains Cooper would be in in the same uh, boat as the Unabomber, more so he, even. 
he'd be yeah he'd be like the osama bin laden the ch- no he'd be the charles manson of the 90s yeah so yeah um he beats up the mafia guys and gets back no he doesn't get back the money so because no. he he, he doesn't even get back the money. He doesn't even succeed at this. No. So he has to reimburse Nancy out of his own wallet. The oh, yeah, that's right. $400 that she lost. What kind of numbers are these guys playing with? Yeah, because like, I guess it's just one place because they're, they're collecting guess. from the brothel. And Nancy's like, man, I'm going to get beat for this. This sucks, dude. And like, fine, I have the money. Take this 400 bucks. I'm like, OK, that's weird guy but all right <laughs> yeah, weird that you just have it in your wallet and you're willing to give it to me you know do you want to ch- testify against chains what what like ex- excuse me uh are you a cop and like yep i'm like are you sure <laughs> like definitely like i don't know about this <laughs> well you know i have to say yes if you ask me if i'm a cop which is total bullshit of course it is absolute bullshit um, like that anyone- that's that's a popular cop lie because it, it makes it easier for them to lie to you. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, it, it took me so long to realize cops started that lie. Yeah, that's good. Like, that's good propaganda. It works. I thought that for the longest time. It's a plot point in a number of Hollywood movies. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's something that is well liked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah, so they visit Tool in the hospital. Uh, he is, and he begs them to kill him because he's just that far burnt up. Yeah, uh, and, the, the, he was engulfed in flames. Oh yeah, yeah. And they see a commercial for uh, Governor Whip, the Whip guy, Brent uh, the Whip Whipperton, uh, who's yeah. running for governor. He's tough on crime. They're gonna crack to... the whip. <laughs> crack <laughs> the whip on to... crime. Like, they were already planning to kill this guy, but they take out all their anger about what happened to Tool on this guy. And mm. it's like, no, the mafia did that. It doesn't matter. Doesn't you gotta, matter you just got to direct your uh, anger at a target. That, that's really the whole point of uh, any sort of white supremacist gang. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, let's see. So... Ice and Hendrickson have the whole conversation of, man, I don't trust this guy. Well, I don't listen to you. Yeah, you, you feel like it should be the El Indio thing where it's like, well, when did you realize he was a cop? And like, I knew it the moment he walked in. Because how do you not know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, He is not believable at any point. No, but no, uh, Chains is still all in on uh, Stone Cold. Well, he, he is even suspicious, too, because he says, well, either I'm about to eat the biggest pork chop of my life <laughs> <laughs> or I got a new bulldozer. Yeah, because he's, he's willing to gamble on this guy being huge enough to be useful <laughs> to him. It's like hey, he might be a cop, but he's a really big guy. And that I mean, I could use a big guy. <laughs> so here's where he brings in the drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, I got got, a great idea. I'm going to muddy the waters of this insane undercover operation that I have no interest in being a part of. So here's my question. I was he brought the the drugs to chains first and then told the FBI about it. But I had thought he got the drugs that he showed to chains (laughs) from the FBI. Where did he get the drugs? 
I think he did get the drugs from the FBI. It's just he knew he could do it if he just, like it, it's one of those uh, ask permission later. You know, you do it first oh. and ask permission later and you know they can't do anything about it. It's like, well, I already set this thing in motion. You're going to blow my oh, cover if you yeah, don't give me that's... all these drugs. <laughs> so and it's a fake drug deal. So why did they supply him with real drugs? It was in the script. Why didn't they? like the cool plan would have been to fill that truck up with cops yeah they don't think things through very well like they're always playing this long con that doesn't work uh joe (laughs) i guess specifically is working a really long con on everything but he doesn't doesn't... have the ability to see it through no or even the interest that's true he's bored (laughs) of his own plan he gets bored of it so fast, which I feel like maybe that's why he brings the mafia into it. It's like, maybe it'll be more fun if there's also the mafia. If I can take down two criminal organizations, maybe it'll be okay then. I'm feeling really bored with it just being this one gang. Yeah, so he's yeah he's saying to Lance, like, yeah, I started this drug thing, so now we're going to get all the mafia into this. And Lance, the, the FBI guy, is like, dude, why? We have all the evidence we need. We We could go pick them up right now. (laughs) It's like, no, man, the racketeering charge is too weak. It won't stick, even though you were there doing it. You're the witness. And not only that, they they know that there is a DA who's extremely tough on crime and running on a tough on crime platform who has already cracked down specifically on a member of this gang. They would have the support in court. <laughs> oh yeah. This DA would just be like, wouldn't even look at the evidence. He'd be like, yep, yep. Chains is in jail, uh, death penalty for whatever. Yeah. This is a guy I'm after specifically. He, th- there's no reason for any of this to go as wrong as it does. <laughs> <laughs> but he convinces the FBI to let him do the stupid drug deal. Because <laughs> Lance is such a wiener, he just won't say no. Right. That is a key thing. Lance is unable to uh, stop anything from happening. Mm. Although so's so's boss. That's a constant theme. Nobody's really ever able to stop anything from happening. It's just like somebody sets something in motion and it's just all going to happen by the end. It really doesn't matter who takes part in it. No, no. So, yeah, they would be arresting the gang right now. But uh, boss convinces them like, hey, I'm going to get this girl on our side. (laughs) But it's going to take a few days. (laughs) So while they're waiting to get for him to get this girl on the on their side, the gang murders two National Guardsmen. Right. And this is such a weird scene because they they kidnap them and then they put them in these packing crates and then they kill them when they already have them like boxed up in crates. It's you know, it's it's like the the henchman thing in L.A. Bounty. Yeah. When Wings Hauser like, told him to get into the crate. But. These guys aren't being punished for anything. They no, they're just, just random National Guard guys. Yeah, like the the plan is they're going to ship the crates to the uh, to the whip. Yeah, and they do do it. And and this is the scene where Gut is like, "This isn't the Brotherhood I joined, man. Like you're killing cops. I don't know. That kind of seems like maybe it is the Brotherhood you joined." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's like, "You're saying that you're saying that we've changed." 
here, stick your hand in the spokes of this wheel <laughs> as it's running to prove that we haven't changed and become significantly more violent. And okay, astonishing. Yeah, it's astonishing that this happens to him and he is still ride or die. Like, he is still with them in the final battle. I imagine off screen he did like this whole apology thing. Hey, man, I'm sorry I doubted you. And it's like, hey, no, it's okay. You, you did your time by sticking your hand in the thing. Oh, I guess so. I mean, Chains has a very weird sense of justice because there's that part where, coming up pretty soon, when he is aware that Boz is, I guess, with the cops already? I don't know. He seems to suspect him because he kills the girl. Mm-hmm. And Martinez. Oh, yeah, no, he has no, because it's when he kills the guy who came back, Martinez. Yeah, yeah. So he totally knows, and he kills the two of them, but then... It's a Russian roulette thing because he, he took some of the gun <laughs> bullets out and it clicks when he's going to shoot Joe. He's like, well, it's fate. <laughs> I guess, guess you're you coming on the raid with us. <laughs> Officer Joe. <laughs> Which, OK, that's totally insane that he's like, well, I, I guess you're just going to have to come with us. We're not going to kill you. But also he's sort of right because he's not able to stop them from doing anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So Nancy is freaked out about the killing of the national guard in the box as a sane person would be. Yeah. Her and gut are the only two. Yeah. And James is just like immediately like, well, I need a new girl now. She got freaked out because I murdered two national guard in cold blood by putting them in boxes and then delivered them to the governor. Mm -hmm. I don't know why she freaked out over that. Right. So has Chains died yet? Or not Chains, uh, has Ice died yet? When does that happen? I thought that was... That's a bit later. Really? Yeah, so Nancy is like saying to to Joe, she's like, man, I gotta get out of this gang. And Joe convinces her to stick around. Yeah, uh, and this at this point, he has told her he's a cop, and he tells her again, basically. He's like, but at this point, look, I've got a whole plan. I, I, it's it's bulletproof. We're definitely going to catch the Strangler tonight at the concert. Uh, <laughs> I just need you to go out there and be bait. Yeah, uh, just keep repeating. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's the same sort of situation. Where you're just, yeah, you go out there and do it, and I, I'm sure everything will be just fine. <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert, it's not. No. They, yeah, they're like having lunch in a diner talking about it, and he gets a note from Lance to go meet in a parking lot immediately, so he leaves as the bikers are swarming onto the diner where Nancy is, who has pissed off the bikers, so, you know, he's leaving her to die. Yeah. And here's where he gets attacked by ice. Okay, so it's on the way to the other thing that he has the whole car chase with ice or the the motorcycle chase. Yeah, it's like this whole big motorcycle chase um, that ends with him bumping ice into a car that makes them both explode. Right. And like, it's a pretty wild chase on the way there. There's the 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 part where uh, ice stabs that dude oh, yeah. uh, in the car like he 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 rolls up on a guy in a car and stabs him so that he'll like swerve into joe it's pretty yeah. rad yeah um there's that whole bit in the really narrow tunnel as they're weaving mm. in and out of traffic it's really cool kick-ass action sequence i mean this is what you get when you have a stunt coordinator as an action director kind of kicks ass i mean it's that's also the formula for the john wick movies Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. 
John Wick's cooler than uh, Brian Bosworth. Well, John Wick is, you know, played by Keanu Reeves. <laughs> well, I mean, Keanu Reeves is cooler, cooler than a lot of people, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, he kills Ice in a big fireball, uh, presumably also killing the driver of the car that he crashed into, because I don't Definitely. see how anyone can survive No question. That. No question. So does the Viking funeral for Ice happen before the the part where Martinez returns? Yes, because uh, Joe is with Nancy at the Viking funeral, and Shane's is not happy that his old lady is now Joe's old lady. Right, but that's so strange because we saw them converging on her and taking her prior to this. But then it's like, well, we'll deal with the <laughs> this other thing. Like, I don't know what happened there. It doesn't make a lot of sense. So my thing is, how did they think Ice was killed? Oh, I have no idea. Because like, <laughs> obviously Joe can't tell them that he did it. He just has to be like, I don't know, I wasn't there. And ice was found would have been found in like a friggin' burning wreckage. Well, what yeah, that's they... that's the other big question. How did they get the body? Yeah, how did they get the body? Wouldn't the cops have got it or the <laughs> ambulance would think. or anyone? And like the how... body isn't all that burned when they get it back, and like when they have it sitting on the motorcycle to burn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they stick the cigar in his mouth. Uh, pretty great. It is badass funeral, right? Though I'm not gonna lie. Oh, yeah. Viking funeral. Oh, beautiful. beautiful. <laughs> uh, yeah. And of course, Nancy wants to get out again. And Joe's like, no, stay in danger. And, he, and here's where she asks, like, are you a cop? And I just right. like to imagine Joe is like, shit, I have to say yes. Otherwise, it's legal. But she's Fuck. also very clear that she is not interested in cooperating with police, that she will not testify. Oh, yeah. that she just does not believe in that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like she pre- prefaces it with there's a lot of things I can forgive and a lot of things that I can ignore. But there's some things I can't do either with. Are you a cop? Like, yeah, one thing I cannot forgive is you being a cop. Very clear. <laughs> so I guess that's why she has to die. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Which yeah, is pretty much the uh, next thing, right? Yeah, pretty much the next Martinez thing. Martinez shows up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Martinez shows up. Oh, no, they, they, they do the drug deal next. Oh, okay, so the drug deal is pulled off, and yeah, that's pretty just straightforward. It's pretty straightforward. They uh, they do the drug deal. The mafia gets the drugs. They, they do it in a different location because, of course, Chains is suspicious because... Why the fuck wouldn't you be at this point? He's, Joe is like so pushy with this drug deal, too. Yeah, it, it, well, because there's a thing where they have someone involved, like they, they have someone on the inside in the deal and they do that fake killing, which is so oh, fake. Oh, yeah, so fake. Hey, man, I should be getting 100000 We had a deal. Our deal was non-negotiable. I'm negotiating. Here's my negotiator. It's a gun. Well, yeah, and the the I, the, the most unbelievable thing is that uh, Joe, quote unquote, fake kills this guy, and Chains believes it. Chains has killed a lot of people. <laughs> See, that's exactly Chains has killed what I was people thinking. recently. Like, Chains I, knows what this, it's like when people die in front of him. Yeah, like this guy, this undercover cop, is so freaking lucky that Chains didn't just pop him one in the forehead to make sure 
Because that think is a chance thing to do. Yeah, it's crazy that that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, well, he does kill that cop later. Yeah, and I feel like even at the time, he says something about how it was really unbelievable, and this time I'm going to get you, right? Or like, this time it's it's going to be for real? I don't know. Some, yeah, yeah, this time's the real thing. Yeah, it, it just seems weird. I, I don't understand how he could have, like, it, it does seem like he should be doing an El Indio thing where, like, ah, you know, I, I wanted to, like, I know I had this whole uh, jailbreak planned and I did that, but I wanted all the money for myself. But there's not really a money plot. <laughs> no, no, this is a vengeance plot or yeah. a chaos plot. It's It's big chaos. I mean, successful <laughs> chaos. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so, oh, that's right, because she finds out a third time that he's a cop when Lance radios him in the truck. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like, don't get her. <laughs> you're a cop, and it's like, dude, I think I've told you twice already. Yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, but you said it in such a way. It's like, but you're so dumb. I, I just, <laughs> I, I had a hard time believing anything you were saying. Yeah, yeah. So he he brings the truck to the drop off point and leaves her there with chains again to go to talk to the cops. It kind of really does not seem like he's trying to save her. Honestly, no, it doesn't. It it does sort of seem like, well, I wanted her to testify, but I don't think she's going to do it. So maybe it's just better that he kills her and then. You know, that's just another mark against him. <laughs> it could be, you know, but he's not smart enough for no, that. No, he, he does not have schemes. These are not like schemes within schemes. He's just like bungling his way through not wanting to do this. This is his anti-work. He's oh, just totally. doing the job. He's quiet quitting as an he's undercover quiet. agent. <laughs> well, no, I think I think the drug deal was going above and beyond. Uh, oh, unless that was his side hustle. I like I don't think he was trying to do any uh, I I don't think he was trying to do anything criminal. I I just feel like he got bored. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the funny thing is, he's like talking to Lance and he's like, "Okay, well, I got to go back and stop the truck um, that's that has all the drugs because, Mm -hmm. you know, we put real drugs in there for some reason. Yeah. Weird choice. (laughs) Yeah. Weird choice. And Lance is like, dude. They've got to be onto you by now. And he's like, yeah. nope. Nah, couldn't be. I'm pretty sure I've so, been doing yeah, everything he, perfectly up to this point. Uh, he shoots the truck and, you know, it just crashes into a gas station, exploding, killing the mafia and presumably any employees who are working in the gas station at that time. Gigantic fireball. Great explosion. Yeah. This movie does explosions well. Oh, it does. It does. And, uh, yeah, he gets back to Chains' base, and Chains is like, hey, man. Guess who's here? (laughs) You're a cop. Two different people betrayed you at the same time. And Martinez comes out, he's like, I told you not to fuck with me, bitch. (laughs) Then Chains shoots him. (laughs) Yeah, because, Fuck this guy, though. The whole reason Martinez was involved is because Chains wanted him dead. Well, yeah, Chains sent him to be killed, so him showing up here is like, well... I'm glad you told me, but I did want you to die, so now you gotta die. Yeah. Now I'm gonna do a supervillain thing and break your heart. And then he shoots Nancy. 
Right, and I guess prior to all of this was the thing with the Russian roulette where he took out some of the bullets, so there's only a few, and then, now I'm going to shoot you, and it goes click. Yes, you're our guardian angel. (laughs) What? Fucking what? I guess it's a very G.I. Joe plot. Absolutely a G.I. Joe thing at this ending thing where he's going to strap the bomb to stone and yeah. throw him out of a helicopter to blow up the Capitol building. <laughs> Which they didn't even need to do because the bomb part of their plan failed completely, but the, everything else went off without a hitch pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it was just an action. It, it, it seems like that was not part of the the Capitol attack plan. That was just a killing Joe plan. That, that It was the one thing that didn't work. Everything else chains did worked. They're not well matched, clearly. No, no. Um, yeah, so now we have the big climax scene. Uh, the the governor, candidate, whatever, is going to do the resentencing trial for Trouble... whatever, Trouble Guy. Uh, yeah, I think it's Trouble Wilson. But yeah, uh, the, it's, it's kind of a big show trial, and it, it's been said frequently throughout the movie that we're going to do this resentencing so he can be sentenced to death instead of 40 years in prison. And it turns out the new sentencing gets handed down in like two minutes. Very quick. Uh, very quick. And But Lance Hendrickson has infiltrated as a preacher. And very all convincing. these guys have shaved off. Yeah, actually. They've all shaved off all their dirty mustaches and beards. And they've got a pretty solid plan. Yeah, I mean, they, they come in, they're undercover, uh, and they fucking succeed. They blow everyone away. Yeah, Lance Hendrickson, like, or Chains, just annihilates the entire fucking courtroom. The judges, the government candidate, uh, he rescues his buddy, everybody who's sitting in the uh, the bleachers, the jury, nobody lives through this thing. Uh, the rest of the gang is taking all, like, the clerks and stuff hostage. It's a complete fucking massacre. Like, everybody in the building dies. He takes out the entire Capitol building. Like, yeah. definitely the entire Mississippi Supreme Court. Like, there is not a single one of them left alive at the end. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And nope. he, he does that really theatrical thing with uh, the with the whip, where uh, he says, like, I'm reminded of the last words of my father. <laughs> and what does he say? Stop, he that says, gun is... Yeah, son, stop, That's that gun's loaded! Or something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Uh, and... and he blows him away. He shoots him in the fucking head. Uh, yes. He succeeded. He he won. Yes. He won. He rescued his uh, guy. He killed everyone. He fucking took out the government. Yeah, and like we see, we see like the guys are still massacring National Guardsmen as they come in because they've got like they've got all the defensible positions. Yeah, they they have all sorts of people in different spaces with guns. They've got all sorts of dudes undercover. They have a helicopter coming in with a bomb. Yeah, so uh, naturally Joe breaks free of the wire or the the rope tying him up and gets the shit out of the helicopter guys, yeah. uh, blowing one of them up. Yeah, and uh, he manages to get into the he manages to get into the courthouse after first radioing Chain saying, "Angels don't die." <sighs> so dumb. <laughs> but Chains has like his reaction to this is perfect. He gets on the radio to everyone else and he says. Everybody bail, you're on your own. 
Yeah, I like that. He is a good tactician. He is obviously uh, much more capable than Stone. Uh, Stone is like is not a match for him in any way. He's like, well, guys, no. we we blew it. Let's uh, let's fucking bug out right now. Yeah, I mean, we've already got causes... everything we needed. Oh, sure. <laughs> and naturally, this causes the bikers to just execute all the hostages that they haven't already killed. Yeah, uh, Joe continuing to uh, unsuccessfully save anyone. So, so uh, yeah, Joe goes to confront. Well, first Joe kills the trouble guy. He shoots his bike. Yeah, because he's he's he like must... escaping. Yeah, and then he goes to confront uh, Chains and whatever the other guy, one of the other guys. And it's like supposed to be a show off, but the guy's like revving up his bike. Also, somewhere in here, Gut gets shot. Oh yeah, Gut gets shot because uh, because he looks. He objects against he... Joe. Yeah, Joe is coming in, and he stops someone from shooting Joe at the last minute for whatever reason. Yeah, so the guy shoots Gut, and then Joe shoots the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Because we couldn't then, have Joe shoot Gut, but Gut no. had to go, because he was a yeah. Nazi biker. <laughs> of course. Although, you know, he was definitely one of the very fine people Nazis. Yeah. TM. Uh, yeah, yeah, so he... he yeah, he died because he was like, because he kind of signaled to Joe. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, he, so he was against all this violence, you know. Uh, also, the, the violence. It's not bad. the brotherhood he joined. Yeah, you know, it's just not right. Yeah. We we're we're burning down the Capitol building right now, and we killed the entire Supreme Court. That's kind of wild. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, you can't shoot the boss. Stop. <laughs> that's that's where I draw the line. Shooting the boss. Yeah, no kidding. He he's he's. He's my drinking buddy sometimes. I'd like him or to I'd like anyways. To, I'd like <laughs> to think he would be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, Joe dodges the guy's bike, which goes flying through the window into the helicopter. Hell yeah. It's Except, almost as good. Like, the the best part of Die Hard, or it's uh, Die Hard 4? Live Free or Die Hard? When he ramps a car off of, like, a... a uh, the the edge of a tunnel to take out a helicopter. Oh, nice, mm. nice. Mm. I had a friend who, back in the early days of Facebook, had that listed as his religion on Facebook. John McClane <laughs> took out a helicopter with a cop car, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, good times. Although I had something dumb listed as my religion, too. So, I mean, that's... I think that rules. That's the best religion you could put on Facebook. Yeah, mine was dumb. I don't remember what it was, but it was dumb. Hmm. And now it's time for the most one-sided knockdown dragabout fistfight in history. A uh, linebacker versus Lance Henriksen. Yeah, uh, naturally he freaking kicks the shit out of him. Oh yeah, he takes him down pretty easily. Uh, and I, it's like, why didn't you do this sooner? You could have just beat this guy up at any point, really. There's lots of times where you could have beat this guy up. Oh yeah, and then and then he points his gun at him, and he does the Russian roulette thing, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, and then like the future, he, you're not in it." But then he he stops the police from shooting him. Like he's like, "Oh, okay, well I'll hand you over." And like, no, no, he's in custody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Chains grabs a gun from one of the cops who's manhandling him. 
and goes to shoot uh, Joe, but Lance just shoots chains. Yeah, it's of like, course. Uh, we, yeah. Well, we we hear a shot and you see him fall, and then it pulls out and it's like it's Lance. He learned to do a thing. He's not just <laughs> a pathetic loser anymore because he learned manliness from the boss. Yep. And now Boz does his uh his heroic hero walkout walk <laughs> through the freaking massacred wreckage of the Supreme Court building you, you where he did a, not save. A yeah, you imagine soul. a thought a thought bubble over his head saying, I did good today. <laughs> <laughs> or or like you said in the chat, I told you I didn't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, you guys, I told you didn't want to do it. And uh, I didn't do it. Didn't save anyone. Screwed it all up. This is what happens when you make the boss work. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't want to work. He wants to be the boss. He does. Uh, so, yeah, insane movie. <laughs> Freaking ridiculous. Completely um, nuts. I wish more 90s action movies were like this. That Like... Because I, I feel like 80s is where we had the really elevated, insane action, you know, the canon movies. But what the 90s added was goofball Saturday morning cartoon energy. And <laughs> usually the two didn't mix. This is a rare happenstance where it's goofy Saturday morning cartoon energy with just like completely bonkers action and violence. Oh, yeah. You'll be you'll think you're watching like some, yeah, like a Saturday morning cartoon. And then suddenly just somebody will gently nudge a car and it'll explode. And then his face will be massacred. Like Brian Bosworth may as well be Denver, the last dinosaur uh, for for uh, the, the way he's portrayed. But then it's just, yeah, he's fighting. He's with the fucking dreadnoughts and they take out the <laughs> Capitol building. It's just totally insane. Yeah, uh, I mean. You might as well have Bebop and Rocksteady in the gang, and you kind of do with Ice and Gut. Yeah, they're not unlike them. It's so strange. It's such a bizarre tone. And his look, his look is so silly. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine why uh, he never became as popular as Arnold or Stallone, or I guess it'd be Van Damme around this time. Yeah, 91. I mean, he did do other action movies. Uh, like he, he had a few, like there, there's, I, I don't think he was the main character of many others, but he definitely had a few. He's still in stuff. Oh, really? Sometimes not, not a lot of stuff. Yeah. I mean, he, he'd make a good, I don't know, henchman. There is a trilogy of movies called Revelation Road, where he plays a character called Hog in all three. <laughs> Hog with H-A-W-G. That's <laughs> pretty great. Uh, this movie's fucking ridiculous. It rips. It's so much fun. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's... I like, big recommend. It's It's one that just is pretty fucking obscure. I had never heard of it before you mentioned it. Yeah, uh, and it's it's so high octane. Like the action is all fucking great. Like it it really never skimps on any of that. It's just it's so flimsy around the action. Oh yeah, the story is just it doesn't work. Everything they, outside they the 
Yeah, everything outside the action is uh, scaffolding for the action. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. Uh, everybody's motivations are, well, this is what the script said I should do now. Yeah, uh, but it's it's a total blast. It's just the highest recommend. you got to see this insane thing. <laughs> oh, man. Just, like, seeing him, seeing this big, giant guy try to dress like like a 90s like yeah like vanilla ice it doesn't work it's like the the biggest thing for me is the mullet in like different tones that he's got the bleach blonde (laughs) on top and the uh the the like darker in the back and just those horrible huge dangly earrings yeah um it's it's kind of a unique ridiculous look actually that's something that we didn't mention is when fucking uh what's uh, when lance shows up and shoots lance henriksen he's got a little earring to signify oh, that he's cool now he's got yeah. an ear a little earbud oh I he looks like that. he he looks like bart in the <laughs> the episode where he gets an earring just a little sparkle, tiny one sparkle. sparkle sparkle yeah, this is the first thing I thought when he shows up. And, you know, Boz recognizes the earring. It gets a little shot and like, oh, he's got an earring like him. They're besties. And <laughs> if Gut had just got an earring, he might be alive now. Maybe. I mean, Gut really made a mistake being with the bad guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because none of them got out. They all fucking died. Although they also killed everyone they wanted to kill. And then some. Yeah, I mean, it's a fucking massacre. The whole government is going to be needed to be replaced. Yeah, Mississippi's kind of kind of fucked right now uh, yeah, at the end insane. of this movie. Yeah, this is like one of the most apocalyptic endings to a 90s movie that's just a crime movie. It's it's <laughs> like usually if something like this were to happen, it's an alien attack or a comet hitting the planet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, just about like 30 bikers got a chip on their sol- shoulder. Yeah, uh, and, you know, they they become a domestic terrorist organization, although they're more like Cobra. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Totally wild. Uh, So, any last thoughts on Stone Cold before we hit part three? We didn't mention that he has a pet Hmm. dragon. Oh, yeah, he has a fucking Komodo dragon, and there's that whole opening sequence where he's introduced putting all that shit in a blender. I thought he was doing the Arnold Schwarzenegger thing uh, from... One of his latter movies. Yeah, I, I, and there's, I, I think it may also be Cobra. This movie seems to riff on Stallone and Cobra quite a bit, mm. because Stallone in Cobra kind of seems to have an eating disorder. Just the way he eats is bizarre every time you see him eat. There's that part where he eats a piece of pizza with scissors. Oh yeah, okay. I've seen that. <laughs> That's what made me remember it. Stallone blowing shit up isn't enough to make me recall a specific movie, but that is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He he just sits down in his apartment and he takes out a pair of scissors and he, like, cuts a piece of pizza. (laughs) Very strange. And, yeah, at the beginning, he's just putting all sorts of gross shit in the blender, like eggs with eggshells, a bunch of Snickers bars. Yep, yep. And then he feeds it to his Komodo dragon. Wah, wah, wah. Who never shows up again. Right. <laughs> it's just, you know, a, a little character tick. Maybe in the original version it showed up more. Apparently, there is an unrated cut of this movie that, like, has never seen the light of day. It was rated NC-17 for violence, and they had to cut stuff out. 
I really want to see the NC-17 cut. Oh, my God. Yeah. Gotta know. I also want to see the version where it is a Saturday morning cartoon and it's Komodo Dragon Talks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be good. Don't kill yourself, Joe. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, just what what an insane thing. Uh, High recommend, even though, like, I, I think... It got really negative scores, generally. <laughs> this is oh. not a well-liked film. It was a huge commercial flop. Oh, I could imagine. Uh, according to Wikipedia, it had a $25 million budget, and it made $9 million. Ooh, Ooh. destroyed. Yeah. Uh, which is a shame. I would have seen this movie at the time and loved it if I'd ever heard of it before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, Yeah, I have never heard of this one. until now yeah it slaps though uh okay so any last thoughts before we head on to part three yeah i'm gonna use this uh, scissor to cut my pizza and wait to see what i cut my hair with (laughs) all right part three and we're back for part three the watched stacks we're gonna talk about some other movies i've watched this past week and decide what we're going to cover next week. Uh, so before we get to it, we are going to be doing a pick from the inactive stacks this week. Because uh, I finished uh, one of the other stacks. Uh, so we've got ten movies to pick from for our main one, or for our second feature. All right. First up, we have The Rape of the Vampire, which is the first film by Jean Roulin. Oh. So I've been watching a bunch yeah, of that stuff. That name has come up. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those two movies kind of slammed together kind of thing. Although there's a, there's some connective tissue. Okay. So the the thing is, it was Jean Roland's first movie, and everybody there, it was their first film, and it wasn't the most professional film set. And the thing okay. is, two days into the shoot, all of the scripts were lost. They couldn't find them. They all just disappeared. <laughs> they couldn't fucking find them. So just gonna have to be an improv movie from that point forward. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the first half of the movie, there's this rotting mansion with four ladies in it, and they all think they're vampires. Right. And there's this psychologist who's hanging out with them. It's like, you, you're not vampires. I don't know how to make you guys realize this, but like, if I throw open this window and the sun hits you, nothing happens. Do you see this? And he starts <laughs> like, Peter, you're such a psychologist. Yeah, he'll like go out and get uh, for some reason people have put all these crosses up all over the place to scare them and he'll like grab the crosses and come in and just hawk them at them like (laughs) why do you guys not get this you're obviously not vampires it's just such obvious bullshit and then halfway through the movie uh the townspeople rebel because this guy who's been gaslighting them into thinking they're vampires told all the townspeople that they're vampires and that the psychologist is freeing them and they're <laughs> now going to be this big problem so you know they attack the townspeople attack obviously. oh no and um it it ends up on the beach you know the the classic genre lend beach the pier on uh on Dieppe that you just see in all of his movies all right. Uh, and there's like a big attack and the psychologist becomes a vampire from the main lady who actually is a vampire and she bites him. And then uh, the queen of the vampires shows up and she's like, kill all these people. I don't like them. Uh, and they kill them. And then she's like, OK, I want you to take care of those two who became vampires because you know how it is. They're vampires now, so they're going to come back to life. So you got to deal with them. And then. Her people decide not to deal with them for whatever reason, and then it's just them adventuring as vampires. Weird movie. Okay. 
Next up, we. <laughs> Next up, we've got National Treasure. He's going to steal the Declaration of Independence. Nicolas Cage has to steal the Declaration of Independence. A silly fucking movie. Uh, it's fun. You know, it's it's pretty well made. You know, it's it's a Disney movie, so it's got production value. Uh, it's it's good Cage. You know, it's, it's very basic blockbuster Cage. It's him as a dorky oh, okay. guy. He's really good at talking people into doing shit. Okay, so we don't do we on a scale of one to ten, how much of a cage freakout, if there is one, do we get? Mm, pretty much none. You don't really do that. He's he's more doing his charming blockbuster guy thing. Uh, like he never even does like the rock level yelling, calling people oh. a hole. He's never really doing anything like that. Here he's charming. Uh, okay. He's just really good at problem solving. It's more he does the Batman thing where he free associates until it becomes true, you know, uh, and you know, he's following all these clues and he, he steals the Declaration of Independence and there's a map on the back and right. he follows the map. Yeah, it's it's the whole thing. It's like Nicolas Cage as Indiana Jones. And it's fun, but it's it's trashy, but it's really fun. All right. Next, we have Misery. Another snowy Stephen King adaptation. Oh, I, I've heard of this. I don't know if I've seen it, but I've definitely heard of it. I think it's the only Stephen King adaptation that's ever won an Oscar because Kathy oh. Bates won Best Actress for this. Oh, cool. So it's, it's kind of just a two-person movie for the most part. You have Kathy Bates and you have James Caan. Uh, and it's, it's one of these Stephen King books about a writer. <laughs> uh, James Caan is a writer. And it, it was... See, I read this book at the time, like when the movie came out is when I read the book. So I would have been around seven or eight when I read it. Okay. And I didn't get it at the time because it's very self-aware. It's a very self-referential book. All right. So it's Stephen King having written this one book about this, his fantasy novel about dragons that the fans did not care for. <laughs> oh, no. And it's this story about this guy who's a writer who's in the misery business. His main character is misery and they're romance novels and they're really trashy and he doesn't like his fans or anything. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of Stephen King doing this thing like, well, all you guys want is misery. You're not happy with my fantasy novel. <laughs> <laughs> and it's about an obsessed fan who stalks him. And like, he has this car accident. She pulls him out of the wreck and then just keeps him in her house and makes him write a new book. That is the way she wants it to be. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it's it's Kathy Bates, who's really great, and it's the other big Stephen King saw. She's this uh, aggravating, uh, anti-swearing advocate, conservative Christian who is just obsessed with Liberace and love connection, and she likes eating Cheetos and Coca-Cola in bed. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's it's broad caricature, but it's also done sort of as a black comedy. Okay. It's, it's good stuff. It's it's one of the best adaptations. It's a pretty high class one. It's directed by Rob Reiner, uh, and his comedic sensibilities are a really good mesh with it. Uh, he's the guy who directed Stand By Me uh, in terms of other Stephen King adaptations. And this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, next, we've got Ghostwatch, which is, uh, did you see the WNUF holiday special at any of our things? I like, I've, I've watched it a few times. First, I saw the first half of it. 
Okay. So Ghostwatch is basically the movie that it's a parody of. I had no idea that it was a direct parody, but it is like straight up a lot of the same beats as Ghostwatch. As much as uh, Airplane is a parody of that Canadian movie? In a way, yeah, Zero Hour. Uh, it's, it's, it's a 1993 Halloween special on BBC One. And okay. they used all real news presenters, like actual on-air news personalities, to pretend that they were doing this ghost house thing. All and right. it, it's one of these things where people believed it was real because, you know, it's just this really crazy thing. And it's very slowly goes off the rails. And they did it live, or they they did, made it seem like it was a live show. Oh, cool! So so it was kind of like a well, kind of like how the story of the War of the Worlds went, rather than yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, cool. They uh, so it, it's these people. They're it's the most haunted house in Britain, and they're gonna uh, spend a night in it, and they're they're hanging out with the people who live there. And outside, you have Craig Charles, you know Lister from Red Dwarf. Oh yeah, okay, okay, playing himself. Right on. As as sort of like the color commentator who's outside the house talking to, you know, the the standby people and learning a bit about the background of the area and stuff. Uh, and yeah, it's it's a really slow burn. It does get spooky. Things slowly start to devolve in the house. There's uh, it's just really effective. And slowly the the haunting infects the the main studio in the uh, the, the main BBC in-house studio, too. Right. Cool. Yeah. Really, really excellent. Nice. Uh, next, we've got Dashra. This is that Tunisian horror movie, the first Tunisian horror movie. Okay. So this is, um, it, it's kind of Blair Witch Project-y. It's not found footage, but the story is very similar. So, yeah. So if I recall, the Blair Witch was, uh, the story was a bunch of kids went into the wilderness to shoot this documentary of about some disappearance that happened ages ago when they get witched. Yeah, about witches. This it's the same thing. There, it's three students who are uh, looking into witchcraft in uh, this remote area, and they fucking find it. You know, uh, it, it, except the thing is, they they find this small village where they're just really meat obsessed, and it. Obviously, it's a cannibalism thing. It's kind of uh, a weird mixture of Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Blair Witch Project. Okay. Uh, and yeah, they there there ends up being some very strange plot convolutions. But uh, the the really wild thing is it's based on true events. Oh yeah. Because uh, witchcraft is kind of more of a serious, real issue in North Africa. Because like they still do kidnap children and sacrifice them for witchcraft purposes there because uh, you know oh. things you know th things are a little destabilized in places yeah all right that's yeah that's a thing um yeah yeah so uh very interesting pretty harsh uh, uh impressive but also like a little longer than it needs to be and some of the things are more obvious than maybe they should be but you know again it's the the first horror movie this country's made so i kind of get it right on next we've got red spirit lake which is a uh, really fucking mental shot on video movie. All right. It, there's these greedy land developers who want this lakefront property. So they're, they, they kill the lady who lives there. And then this, I, I think it's her sister or her cousin inherits it. And um, it, it's weird. It's like a Jess Franco, but 
shot on video style like it, it has all that stuff where it's very dreamlike the narrative doesn't make a whole lot of sense there's just so much nudity sometimes kind of pornographic there's definitely a part where someone masturbates to completion Mm, okay. There's there's a few scenes of masturbating. The one that I found really funny is when uh, our heroine has a dream of this witch forcing someone to cut his dick off, and she's masturbating during that. That's pretty funny. Um, <laughs> there, <laughs> then we were fucking all of them and laughing at you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cutting it, off your dick, Tom Cruise. Right. Uh, obviously, like, you know, the the people who killed the girl at the start come back to kill other people, and then the people they kill come back as ghosts to fist them to death. It's a whole thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next up, we've got AVP, or Alien versus Predator. Now, I've seen one of these Alien versus Predator movies, and it's and the one I saw is really just humans doing stuff. And Alien fights the Predator in the background. Is that uh, this one? No. Well, did the one you see uh, take place in a town, or did it take place in a frozen pyramid? Um, Antarctica, so it would have been a okay. frozen pyramid. Yeah, so that's this one, yeah. Okay. Uh, like, I, I would say the humans are fairly involved in this. There's, like, a hero human, there's a hero alien, and there's a hero predator, basically. And they're all like a main character. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm just imagining an alien with a cape and an S symbol on his chest. Well, the the alien, it, it's distinctly the hero one because it has a fight with a predator and it wins. But it has oh. this, it, 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 it has the net on it and then the net digs into its skin. So it has like this crosshatch pattern on top of its head so you can recognize it for the rest of the movie oh i remember that yeah, yeah. so that you know that he's the main alien yeah so the big thing about this movie is that it sucks and it's bad <laughs> yeah, yeah i remember that too it's just kind of a big pile of shit is the thing <laughs> um especially as an alien movie it sort of isn't terrible as a predator movie and that you know the second predator movie was already kind of dumb and it's just yeah predators fucking hunt some aliens that that's fine but as an alien movie it's a prequel and it has lance hendrickson as uh wayland you know the founder oh, of way uh, of wayland yutani <laughs> okay uh it's fucking mess it's so stupid like it feels like a movie made by a 12 year old or written by a 12 year old and not not the cool way you might remember it. <laughs> right, you know? right. The, the, the way you actually would have pitched it if you were 12 and all of the stupid, <laughs> it would be so cool. And oh, and then at the very end, there's a predator alien who jumps out of the predator's chest because it, it was secretly <laughs> had an alien all along. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> Why did you watch it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> something to do because i hadn't in quite a while like do i still hate it the mm. thing is because i watched event horizon which is another film by the same director paul ws anderson and i would say the feels like it was made up by a 12 year old at a sleepover is kind of the standard for all of his movies he also did van helsing which i really hated when i saw in theater uh did, has that did, feel is he the guy who did all the resident evil movies uh, I think he did a couple of them. He did uh, the first G.I. Joe movie, which really stunk. 
Uh, I think he I did think... the Patriot. No, Soldier with Kurt Russell. I think that was. Oh him too. man, I've seen a bunch of his stuff without knowing it. Then he's one of those guys who he did a bunch of blockbusters, and they kept giving him uh big franchise movies, and they all kind of fucking stink. Oh, he did the Mortal Kombat movie. That one was pretty good. Was, uh, oh, yeah, I'm looking. He did a bunch of Resident Evil. Some. Oh, he did Death Race. I kind of liked his Death Race remake. That was kind of fun. With Jason Statham. <laughs> <laughs> that was all right. Uh, this one stinks. It's my least favorite of his movies. All right. <laughs> uh, next up, we got Yakuza Wolf 2. Nice. Extend my condolences. <laughs> So the thing is, it's totally unrelated to the first movie. <laughs> it has okay. absolutely nothing to do with it. It's just a different movie that also has Sonny Chiba in it killing Yakuza. So I don't need to have watched the first one. Right. It has zero to do with it. It's just a much sillier movie that has Sonny Chiba in a vaguely related character in that he also fights a bunch of Yakuza. Uh, except this one, he already is one. Like, he's a bad guy at the start. Okay. And then he goes to jail, and then he meets this guy in jail who he becomes buds with, and then they go out for revenge when they get out of jail on good behavior. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, it does have a really wild climax, but it takes a longer time to get there because it's pretty goofy. It's got a very silly tone for a lot of it, and then suddenly it gets really bloody and most of the people get killed off, and then obviously you got to do a giant raid on the villainous lair for revenge oh yeah you got it uh island lair in this case like they have to infiltrate it like it's a james bond movie pretty wild nice next we've got another day another man this is the one that i sent that very brief clip where it's just a bunch of uh, go-go dancing and the guy's in <laughs> It was a real productive day at the bus depot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, without any context, that is like... <laughs> that reminds me of something Russ Tamlin's character in uh, that Al Adamson movie would say. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Because th this is... Th that's a sequence that's narrated in flashback by this pimp who's talking about how he exploits women. It's just... He, he's telling his... Uh, telling how he does his job to one of the women he exploits, of course. Oh, uh, it's like this is the one that, as I understand, it has a lot of clips from two different Wishman movies, and one of them I've seen, and one of them I have not yet seen. Okay. So it's weird. It's like that Clerks episode. <laughs> you know the one? <laughs> the only one I've seen. It's a clip show of the, but they only had the first episode out at that point. Right, and it hadn't aired, which is so yeah. avant-garde. Like, accidentally, ABC aired two episodes of the show. They aired the fourth and second in that order. Yeah, and the one that they aired, which was the first one I saw, I, I thought it was brilliant. Well, yeah, that it was and a it is brilliant. To, a, to one episode that didn't exist. Well, and of course, it is an epi episode that does exist. It's just they only had one episode before they did the clip show, and that was the gag. But ABC made it more avant-garde by just not even airing that episode. So it's just experimental animation, you know? Oh, yeah, they just made it so much funnier. <laughs> and like, yeah, I saw that when it aired, too. And I was like, this is 
incredible. Uh, <laughs> uh, this isn't exactly incredible, but it is very jagged and weird in a way that it still fits together in the expected Doris Wishman way. So I'm not always thinking like I'm watching a bunch of clips and just like, man, this is put together wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't necessarily feel like it's assembled from other movies. It just it feels like a Doris Wishman movie, you know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, like, it's it's this lady who is who shares an apartment with this woman who is the sex worker who has that pimp. And right. she is not a sex worker at this point, even though all they seem to do is hang around in the apartment, dressing and undressing and wearing lingerie and being sexy. This is just right. what you do in a Doris Wishman movie in an apartment. Oh, what else is there? So, uh, the, the, the one lady, the like, the non-sex worker one, she gets married... And her husband's going to take care of her, but he uh, he just suddenly gets really sick out of nowhere. Like he's sitting at the piano and then the plot decides that he falls over and feels bad and has to <laughs> stay in bed for the rest of the movie. Sure. Why not? <laughs> so, uh, you know, the wife becomes a sex worker because she knows an easy way to get into it. And it's a good way to make money to support him. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, it's it's weird. It. It's mostly interesting in how it cuts away to stuff. Uh, it's always my favorite thing in a Doris Wishman movie is uh, you'll see people talking, but she didn't record the sound. So you don't want to spend too much time looking at people talking. So <laughs> let's look at this ashtray. Let's look at this plant. Let's look at this painting on the wall. That sort of thing. <laughs> interesting. All right. And last up, we have Ratfink Aboo-Boo. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> so it was supposed to be Ratfink and Boo-Boo, because that's the two characters in it. But the okay. thing is, they did the title sequence and they forgot two letters. And they were like, <laughs> we can't afford to make it again. <laughs> <laughs> so it became Ratfink Aboo-Boo. Uh, that's All fine. Right. <laughs> All right. So... You, if you look at the poster for this movie, it looks like it's a superhero movie, right? You got oh, these totally. two guys in their fucking really silly looking superhero outfits. And you figure this is a parody of 66 Batman. Right? Sure, I'm looking. It's even made in 1966. Yeah, that's a, that's an Adam West looking outfit. Yeah. And it's like, it looks like it's probably a kid's movie. <laughs> it looks very silly. It sure does. The thing is, it does become that movie, but for 37 straight minutes, it is just a really dark, mean crime movie where it's this violence <laughs> gang. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> there is zero hint at any point in this that there are superheroes in this universe or in this movie. It's just there's these dudes in the, the cold open. They just attack this lady. One of the guys got a has a chain one of them has a hammer they beat her up they rob her uh and then just the opening credits are like wow this is harsh and weird <laughs> <laughs> and they they go through the phone book and they find just a random name and they call her up and they start stalking her and they're you know they're planning to attack this lady too but the thing is her boyfriend is a famous pop star oh and we have all these sequences where we see this pop star. We it it takes a while for us to realize why we're seeing this pop star doing <laughs> stuff until we realize that you know then there's his girlfriend and stuff. But it's mostly just him wandering around singing songs in weird places like on a <laughs> fucking carousel. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, you know ultimately they kidnap the girl and they're gonna hold her for ransom. And then we're 37 minutes into the movie and astonishingly they're like, well, there's no way we could get enough money by the time 
they uh, need the money to not kill this girl, so you know what we have to do. <laughs> and it turns to Batman. No, they are Batman. It's like oh. we're gonna have to assume our, our costumed identities, and it's suddenly Wait. like, yeah, I'm <laughs> Rat Fink and you're Boo Boo. Because like okay. the, the boyfriend is Rat Fink, and this uh, sensitive gardener who is just this random guy who lives in their house, he's Boo Boo. <laughs> okay. And then it's just them riding around in a motorcycle and sidecar. Uh, <laughs> Rat Fink, he just is always standing up in it, pointing where they're going. <laughs> Rat Fink. Yeah, uh, weird. It's totally bizarre. It just becomes complete silliness until the end of the movie and as they track down these guys. Weird vibe. Very strange. Interesting. <laughs> So those are our 10 options. What do you figure? Oh, boy. Um, do you th- a lot of interesting stuff here this week. Definitely, definitely. So Yakuza Wolf 1 was one of my top picks last week. We obviously didn't go with it. Hmm. Uh, would I like Yakuza 2, do you think, more th- than I'd like Yakuza Wolf 1? Definitely not. I would say Yakuza Wolf 1 is far better and you will like it a lot more. Uh, like, okay. I, I, I liked Yakuza Wolf 2, but it's kind of like uh, the Sartana 1 to Sartana 2 oh. flavor. It's much goofier, even though it gets really bloody at the end, too. Okay, okay. Um, cool. Good to know. Uh, in that case, I'm... Oh, man. <laughs> I'm going to do something really out of character. And All right. Let's do Another Day, Another Man. All right, check out some Wishman. Finally, experience the strangeness of the Wishman milieu. Yeah, I've never. I've, you've done a bunch of these, and I've never seen a single one of them. So yeah, I think I, it's time. I I think I've watched a dozen of them now, and I have like this is part of a box set. There's still let me see one, two, three, four, five, six more movies in this box. I have another one on the way that should show up in the next (laughs) week with nine more in it. And I've got a double feature of her two uh, movies that have hardcore in them. (laughs) Oh, my. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it should be interesting getting into those. Uh, So we have just a handful of additions to the stacks, although, of course, we're not picking from them this week. Uh, So first there's We Await, which is another movie by the same director as Red Spirit Lake. Okay. Another shot on video thing. Uh, my understanding is there's this guy wandering around downtown with this crystal that turns people into cannibals. Uh, I hear it's just completely insane, and there is definitely a, an extended sequence of cock and ball torture. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, next, we've got Two Orphan Vampires, which is another Jean Rolland movie. Uh, one of okay. his one of his later ones. Uh, obviously, it's about a couple orphan vampire ladies uh teenage vampires they're blind during the day so oh, they, okay. you know they, they can't uh they're, they're not hurt by the sun but they're uh unable to see during the day so at night they 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 become vampires and go uh hunting for blood right okay that makes sense you know uh, next, My Brother's Wife, which is the next one in the Wishman set, uh, which is also uh, the other one that this movie takes all its clips from. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to watch that one after having seen this. I have no idea why they're in that order in the box set, but 
that's just how it is. <laughs> sometimes you just got to put things in the wrong order. That's yeah, what do you do? That's how movies work. Yeah. Next, we've got the Lemon Grove Kids, which is the next one in the Ray Dennis Steckler box. Okay. Uh, I it's his version of a kids movie. <laughs> oh. It's it's definitely got a guy running around in a gorilla costume. He was also in Rat Finka Boo Boo. Okay. I think it's just like a bunch of sequences is my understanding. <laughs> I, sure. I, I believe Rat Fink makes a, an appearance again. Uh, I mean, obviously we've got the same gorilla as the four, previous one. He's credited as Kogar as he was in this one. Uh, yeah, just a, a silly parody of like old fifties and forties uh, teen or not teen, like kids adventure movies like the Bowery boys. Okay. And last edition is Bodyguard Kiba, uh, which is the next one in the Sunny Chiba box, uh, where uh, you know he's he's a bodyguard, <laughs> I guess, uh, yeah. and he is he he's planning to wipe out all drugs, like he he's a he's a super karate guy whose plan is he's going to take out the entirety of drugs uh, and be <laughs> a bodyguard for people who want to work against drug lords. <laughs> so when he's taking on the entirety of drugs, is that just the illegal ones or Tylenol too? I have no idea. It's just him. <laughs> he he wants to eradicate all drugs in Japan. <laughs> well, that's, I don't uh, know. I mean, wonder that's, how far he gets. I, I mean, it's, it's probably going to be a fucking bloodbath. Probably. As the previous two have been. <laughs> right on. <laughs> So we are not picking from the main stacks this week. We are choosing something from the inactive stacks. Uh, So what do you figure? Well, I can't remember when or how, but somehow Ed Gein got brought up in conversation. Yeah, I think we mentioned it with the serial killer thing in the first part. Yeah. Motherings, the very uh, over-mothered characters. Yeah. Uh, And... I see on here that Deranged is there, which is like one of the first slasher movies, I believe. Uh, not a slasher movie. It's kind of a quasi-documentary. Like, not oh, okay. really a documentary, but sort of a mockumentary. It's documentary st- documentary style, but uh, dramatized. And it's the old man from Home Alone as Ed Gein. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, the Great Robert's Blossom. Hmm. I love the tagline. Pretty Sally Mae died a very unnatural death, but the worst hasn't happened to her yet. Right, because you know, famously, yeah, the the uh, one <laughs> the one known murder that, or he, no, two murders. There's two murders that he's known to have committed, uh, and one of them, you know, it, very famously, it's the police came and found her uh, hanging in his shed, being, uh, you know, he was butchering her like a deer. Because it was deer hunting season. Yeah. Um, yeah, Ed Gein was a... Uh, <laughs> Strange fella. <laughs> a real, real weird dude. So, uh, The first yeah. serial killer, basically. Like, he, he is the genesis of the term serial killer, I think. He is the first uh, recognized serial killer, basically. He sort of put it into the lexicon. Oh, cool. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah, uh, let's do that. All right, so next week, Deranged and Another Day, Another Man. Cool. Should be good stuff. Some some real wild exploitation shit. Yeah, 
yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, I don't get out of my comfort zone as often as I should, I don't think. Yeah, there, there's lots of weird shit to explore. Uh, the, the exploitation, uh, especially like weird 60s exploitation when it was sort of developing into a whole new thing. Uh, very strange area. Mm. All right, so any last thoughts before we close for this evening? Uh, no, I, I was... I took too long. Nope. <laughs> I got nothing. All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone so much for listening in. I'm going to steal the Declaration of Independence.